episode 349 of the Thinking Poker Podcast. From Owings Mills, Maryland, I'm Andrew Brokus, soon to be joined by Nate Mavis in Melrose, Massachusetts, and by our guest, Duncan Palamortis, who I believe is in Los Angeles. He teaches at UCLA, anyway. Uh, Duncan, actually, I have this handy uh, bio here from uh, DNB Publishing, which is, uh, so he's the author of this book, why Alex Beats Bobby at Poker, which um, we'll talk a little bit about during the interview. Um, but I have a bio for uh, Duncan here, so I guess I will just share this with you. Dr. Constantinos Palamortis, otherwise known as Duncan, is a UCLA instructor, author, columnist, and researcher who gained international acclaim through his innovative contributions on the mathematics of poker and education. He is one of the first academics to successfully bring such a unique subject into academia. Duncan holds two master's degrees, one in pure math and one in computer science, and a PhD in mathematical logic. His versatile mathematical background and love for teaching has helped him offer classes on a variety of math-based subjects over the years. These range from the basics, calculus, algebra, statistics, all the way to machine learning, measure theory, differential equations, and of course, advanced poker game theory. Uh, We ended up having a great time on this interview. Um, We had planned, uh, as we usually do, to speak for about an hour. Uh, It ended up being over two hours (laughs) that we were talking to interview. Nate actually uh, had time to leave, take an unrelated call, go for a jog, come back, and um, we were still talking and he was able to rejoin us at the end of the conversation. So I hope that you all will enjoy the conversation as much as we did. I think we had a lot of uh, chemistry with Duncan and um, you know, just sort of between us had a lot of interesting things to say about and around poker. Um, obviously, it's a very long episode, as you can probably tell, over two hours, so I'm not going to waste too much of your time now, except to say that, um, yeah, that we enjoyed it. I hope you will enjoy it. Uh, if you do, you might want to check out Alex's book, or not Alex's book, Duncan's book, Why Alex Beats Bobby at Poker. Um, also, if you enjoy our strategy segments, uh, which are not, <laughs> and you would like to hear some that are not two hours long, I uh, encourage you to support the podcast on our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash thinkingpokerdaily, and that will get you access to daily strategy segments from uh, myself, Nate, and and or Carlos. It's a rotating cast of us, but uh, for as little as $5 a month, you can support the show on um, Patreon. helps us keep putting out these regular episodes, and your reward is a bunch more strategy from us. Uh, So please check that out, and please enjoy our interview with Duncan Palamortis. Uh, so is it Duncan Palamortis? That's perfect, actually. Yeah, and and you know what? I mean, uh, 
my, my last name is very difficult even for for Greek people. That was that was perfect pronunciation, by the way. So you can just call me call me Duncan. You know, like there. <laughs> I, I don't want people to feel uncomfortable. Like I feel uncomfortable when people feel uncomfortable with my last name because it's literally unpronounceable. But that was perfect. Yes. Is I mean it's it's a lot of letters. I didn't feel like the sounds were that. Uh, like I'm actually less clear. Uh, your your actual first name, Konstantinos. Konstantinos as well. Yeah, yeah. That's. Uh, yeah, it's and it's actually technically misspelled. Uh, it's the it's the Russian version as opposed to the uh, you know uh, Anglican version, which would be with a C from the the word constant. So and and that 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 throws people people's off. But uh, you know in Greek we spell it with a K, and that makes matters confusing. But that's correct also. Konstantinos Palamodis, twenty three characters uh, for people to suffer for no reason. But uh, anyway, <laughs> that's that that's basically what that's my, my life story. That's why I go by Duncan. Mm. I mean, I will say of of Greek names that I've seen, yours is is on the easy side of the spectrum for sure. Oh, nice. Okay. All right. Okay. Very good. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that any day. I, I, uh, my PhD is in ancient philosophy, so my my problems in Greek pronunciation are are have historically been much much greater than your last name. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have to hear that. Uh, and I'm guessing from your accent, you are uh, you're born in Greece. Correct, correct. Born and raised, born and raised, and, and the accent, as far as I can tell, will never go away. So, uh, but I was born and raised in Greece, and I came here uh, to actually do my my, my graduate uh, degrees in uh, in mathematics, and uh, I I liked it so much in here in LA. Uh, after I finished my PhD, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna stay here. I like it very much. Did you start playing poker in Greece? Actually, I started. I, I learned the game in Greece, but I didn't become serious until much later, in essentially in college. So I played um, like most of the poker that matters and most of the terminology uh, here in the U.S. So I, I read all the books that I read were in English and everything. So I, I don't even know the, the, the Greek terms for some of, you know, uh, poker things. But as a kid, you know, we used to play like the five card poker and stuff like that, which is nowhere near <laughs> the, the way No Limit Hold'em is played. Yeah, but I'm just always curious because I feel like for most um like I, I think most Americans sort of like do learn the rules of poker as as kid like growing up. I think it's like a fairly common experience, and I'm always curious like how universal that is. Like how, and I, I think it's gotten much more so in the last twenty years. Like I think if you went back forty or fifty years, you'd have a lot fewer people outside of the United States just sort of like casually learning and playing poker as a kid. But I'm always curious like what, um, how how integrated into the fabric of the culture and other societies poker is. It, I think it very much is in the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was very, very similar in Greece too. But and, and you can also imagine, I mean, all of the um, Hollywood stereotypes. The, these were, you know, like the the the, the idea that uh, you know we can uh, uh, bet more money than we have in our stack and all of that stuff. You know, which it was basically our version of what we thought poker was. And uh, yeah, I remember there was. Uh, I have a very vivid memory of a friend of mine who were actually in a chess club at the time. And uh, there was this movie with Mel Gibson. I forget the name of the movie. But oh. it, you, that, you guys... The, the, the one with Jodie Foster also? I think so. Yes, I think so. Like, I, I don't remember... Ma- Maverick, right? Maverick. Oh, that's Maverick. Yes, that's that's the one. That's the one, right? Where they were playing five-card poker and there's this, this very famous scene yes. where he changes one card. Right. So my friend... 
my friend did the same thing. You know, we were playing, and he literally like, just changed one card, and then he stares me. It's like, and I was like, you're not going to look at your card? And he says, no. But sure enough, <laughs> he, turns, <laughs> he turns his card. It's like a seven of diamonds or something. Something completely crazy. It's like, I thought, I don't know. I thought it was like the funniest thing ever. The funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. And we have like things like that, you know, like memories, little memories like that, paying for, you know, um, uh, quarter and dimes and all of that stuff or even fake money we didn't care we just had a lot of fun so you said you got serious about it in in college how'd that happen yeah so uh, i'm i'm a little bit uh, competitive uh probably the understatement of the century but uh, so we uh, at some point in college uh, a friend of ours suggested you know guys why don't we go ahead and play some some poker and again we were playing with uh, nickels and dimes and uh one thing led to another, and that became kind of a thing. You know, we would gather around, you know, like the uh, the, the casual uh, beer drinking and pizza eating and all of the cool stuff. And at some point, you know, it became kind of, like I said, like a, a regular thing. So I thought to myself, well, maybe I need to take this a little bit more seriously. Maybe I can, I can uh, you know, look into it. And, and that was actually the first time I, I really realized that it's not as... Um, psychology-based as I initially I, I had thought, because I always thought that, you know, again, most of uh, the, the things I knew from poker was from uh, uh, from media and uh, from, you know, the, the little things that I've, uh, I, I knew at the time, and especially five-card poker was not particularly, how, how should I say, um, strategy-based, or at, at least it didn't seem strategy-based. And actually, right now, I would say that No Limit, no Limit Hold'em, for example, is much more strategy-based than than, than than some of the other variants. And um, so I, I was very surprised because I did research and I thought, I, I saw a lot of um, statistical analysis um, involved in the game and a lot of probability theory. And uh, that, needless to say, it intrigued me. So, so by I was attempting to just beat my friends, basically, at the at the you know uh, at, at our weekly meetings, and one thing led to another, and before I knew it, I was actually like playing <laughs> for seven eight hours a day on on full tilt and start building a bankroll and uh, starting the game for another you know two or three hours a day, and it was just it was just amazing. Yeah, I remember having kind of a similar experience in college where like, even though I was playing online for more money than I was playing for when I played in person with like, right. it was just like the in-person was the motivation for me wanting to get better at poker in the first place. So like learning to right. beat this dorm game that was sort of like small stakes compared to what I was playing elsewhere was still like the ultimate goal. Right, right, exactly. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. So you said in there uh, that you thought No Limit Hold'em was more strategy-based than other games. Can you say a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, for sure. Now, uh, the, the, the thing is that um, one of the things that uh, um, I've I spent a lot of time thinking is why is it No Limit so interesting as a game, right? I mean, uh, sometimes we, you know, we don't necessarily have to put the finger on it to enjoy it, right? I mean, we can say, listen, I mean, I enjoy No Limit Hold'em. I don't have to explain why, but for me, it was a curiosity, a peculiarity. Why is it so interesting? And uh, again, I remember I was playing five-card uh, poker as uh, five-card draw, I should say, five-card draw um, uh, as a kid, and I never saw that game as strategic in any way. I mean, sure, you know, it's important to know, you know, what kind of cards to to draw, what kind of cards to, what kind of combinations to go for. Um, 
but that feels a little bit more like you know like video poker kind of like automatic so what is it so interesting about um something like no limit hold'em and i was able to at, at least you know uh, uh, completely uh, subjectively here but i was able to point out to at least uh, a couple of things the, the first thing about uh, no limit hold'em which i think makes it so interesting is the community cards the fact that there's community cards makes it very interesting because there is a commonality that everybody at the table can uh, uh, can respond to. And I think that commonality is is a very important factor in that game. The fact that, you know, we're all playing kind of like with the same terms, but not really because there's the whole cards, but at least we have a starting point. And that starting point creates a very interesting dynamic. I mean, I see, you know, the, the monotone board. You have the monotone board, I have the monotone board, everybody has the monotone board. We, we all see the same thing. And then how we react to it is what, uh, you know, creates the skill. Some people may react better to that common information than others. That would be one factor. The other factor that I really thought, again, subjectively, I mean, other people might, might come up with, with many more interesting factors. Uh, the, the other thing subjectively that I observed was the idea that um, No Limit Hold'em has multiple streets. And that idea of having multiple streets is also incredibly important because, um, again, I believe, uh, I, I think it was... Uh, uh, Dusty Schmidt, uh, also known as Leatherass, who, who once said that, you know, the reason why uh, something like, uh, I don't know, blackjack is, is, is a game of, uh, of skill is because you can, cho you can choose to lose, whereas in roulette, you cannot choose to lose. Uh, so something like that happens with poker, too. We have, like, these opportunities we can choose to lose, or in other words, we can choose to play, to play uh, skillfully in all of those multiple streets. So we get multiple opportunities to make better decisions than the, uh, the opponent would make in our shoes, <laughs> like what, what Tommy Angelo would call reciprocality. Uh, and and, and, I, and I, f I felt that was, it was an amazing idea. So somehow, I don't know if it was by, I mean, the, the, you know, I have a friend of mine who is a historian, he would probably, and, and you guys probably know that better than I do, like how we, we reach to, 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 to no limit having the, the form that it has today. But I don't know how like it, it, it got to, 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 to be what it is today, but it feels like it's a very, very, very interesting variant that includes a lot of opportunities, all of these streets, uh, to for the skill to shine, but also starts with a commonality for people to have a common ground to uh, explore uh, the, the, the entire game, which I thought it was, it was amazing, as opposed to, you know, like, again, going back to the five-card draw, I have my cards, you have your cards, for all I care, you know, I ha can have, like, two napkins and, I mean, not, uh, I'm thinking of no limit again, but five napkins and the other person can have like, you know, a very, a very good, a very good combination. So at least we have something in common to share. Yeah, I think the, I mean, the multiple streets obviously is also about information, much like the, the community right. cards is, you know, just like the, it, it's, there's so much more to the game because you do have to factor in what happened on previous streets, right? I mean, it's obviously not Correct. enough for me to just say like, okay, I have top pair on the river, what should I do? You know, like, right, exactly, uh, exactly. And much like the community cards, it is about, you know, and I think that is kind of like what makes poker games you know, like PLO and No Limit Hold'em obviously have quite a lot in common because you're getting the information from the same places. Whereas when you're playing a game like Draw Poker, uh, Triple Draw or something like that, you know, there's this completely different piece of information you're getting of, um, mm -hmm. 
both knowing your own discards and and like seeing how many cards your opponent drew, which is just like sources of information that I, as a no limit player, am not accustomed to factoring into my decisions. So I would feel much more, and I do feel much more comfortable. You know, to, and I have not played either PLO or triple draw very much, but um, I would feel much more comfortable you know, feeling like my skills would transfer directly into PLO more so than like directly into triple draw. Right. Exactly. Exactly, and 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 also, I mean, you know, we can we can talk about other games like you know, like uh, seven card stud. I mean, that's you know, it's uh, uh, it, it, it has like, you know partially the idea of like uh, um, of I guess face up cards, but it doesn't have the 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 idea of of, of community cards. And I think that that the, the idea of of community cards actually also also makes a difference. The fact that the cards are communal, I think. It makes it makes an important difference. What we would call, you know, would call board texture, because that texture is the same texture for everybody. I mean, the idea that, for example, we can talk about, to give you an example, like a, we can talk about, you know, like not advantage or ra range advantage based on the board, board texture. That is something which is very geared towards the, uh, the 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 specifics of the game. The fact that there are community cards and. The fact that they're the same for everybody also keeps the variance down a little bit. One thing about, yeah, something that used to be very important in my life is that seven card stud had higher variance than limit mm -hmm. hold'em, and especially with all those big bet streets and the fact that each player was improving independently, um, right, made it really really hard. Uh, I think, you know, just just from the the playing experience, not so much the formal side of it, but. Um, you know that the fact that that raises the variance and the fact that it puts such a high premium on things like memory and information processing and in particular having to remember a dozen folded cards uh that's tough and i think that made it a lot less popular besides just being a limit game and no limit being the thing that that captured everyone's imagination that's a good point actually I think there's also a, an illusion of simplicity to no limit hold. Like you know, it, mm -hmm. I think it's like obvious to people when they're playing seven card stud that like it's going to be relevant what those cards were discarded, and so they know that if they're not doing a good job of remembering those cards, they're like aware of being at a disadvantage in a way that you know obviously like there are a lot of subtle factors where you know just like we can't say how should I play top pair on the river, we also can't say you know how should I play a ten eight five two tone flop. But I think that feels more like like it makes situations feel more similar to each other than they are and you see that you know when, when people who are not sophisticated poker players are telling you a hand they're leaving out information that you know is important of you know what positions people were in and what stack sizes were like but i think there's the it, it gives people the illusion of being better at the game than they are which given that this is a gambling game is like an important feature of the game <laughs> i love it yes yes i agree i agree that, that's that's exactly right uh, very, very much so, and 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 I think that that's part of the reason why, uh, perhaps I mean that this is a guess, but uh, it captures so much interest because it it looks simple, it really isn't, and uh, you know that's why it took computers so much time to even come close to figuring it out, and uh, yeah, that, I think that that would be part of it, for sure. So you mentioned uh, offline while we were mm -hmm. talking that you are sort of like obsessed with with variants and that that was kind of like meditation for you. Can I ask you to say a little bit more about that? So yeah, no, I mean, I was I was I was saying earlier that um, I, I was writing this morning. I like I like to uh, 
to, to write from time to time. And um, writing about variance has been a meditative process for me because it, it helps me, you know, uh, uh, try to first of all understand the beast that is variance. You know, trying to to be as as honest about it as possible. Like for example, recently I was writing about the idea that uh, you know I'm having this metaphor in my head. Like I feel variance as you know Cerberus. Uh, I don't know if you, I mean you you, uh, you probably both are. I mean you know philosophy major, you know <laughs> ancient text, the PhD. You know, like you you guys probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Like I'm talking for for your listeners, I'm talking about the the three-headed uh, canine that was supposedly, you know, in ancient mythology was guarding the the underworld, and and I feel that's exactly what 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 variance is. It's 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 a it's a, a monstrosity of sorts, but at the same time, it's also like a, a a cute dog in a certain sense because it's you know kind of like our pet. Like we we need variance for the game to actually have any sort of profitability. Without variance in the game, you know, in a certain sense, the game would. Um, uh, would be uh, uh, would become similar to what what chess is, where money would be at the top of you know one percent of one percent. So it's going to be very difficult for people to play for money. So we kind of need the idea that newer players can actually beat somebody who's been playing the game for years, somebody who's very skillful, also uh, just due to sheer uh, luck. And uh, so we we need as poker players we need variance. But on the other hand, we all know what variance can do if we're not if we're not careful about it. It. So, like, it, it has this duality, and uh, you know, like, again, writing about those things, I kind of like feel, you know, like the um, the, uh, the the weakness as 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 a, as a human being that I that I have like how susceptible, you know, human beings we are, and and in particular myself, of course, I mean, I'm feeling that about myself, and at the same time, how you know, like, it's it's important for me to accept the fact that you know variance is is also very useful so like the, the duality so there's this interesting duality which some some other people may say translates to life you know there is a lot of people writing about variance outside of poker where where you know we don't even know what we don't know people like i've, I've talked about that several times nasim nicholas taleb he's talking about you know black swan events and, and things that are beyond even our control we cannot even factor them in in our equations at least with poker we can factor in what we don't know there are situations where we don't even know what we don't know we don't even know what we're missing so i i always feel variance as something incredibly humbling and as 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 something that that can help us and help us help us grow in a certain sense so i i, I don't know like it, it's i'm obsessed with, with this with the subject i can talk about it for hours is there, is there more or less variance in in poker than there is in academia <laughs> that is an excellent question uh yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I would say that um, anywhere where humans are involved, there is variance. It, it, like, I mean, you know, someone can say theoretically that, you know, uh, having tenure uh, will will help some people uh, have some sort of stability. But I don't think that's that's necessarily true. I mean, when when there's human relationships, you know, everything everything can go in in, in many different ways. So, I would say that uh, probably poker. Uh, is uh, com when compared to life, any aspect of life, whether we're talking about you know human relationships, you know work environments, uh, careers, um, what have you, I think that poker is is on the lower end. Again, subjectively speaking, 100%. This is a subjective. I feel that you know variance in in everyday life can can go through crazy limits that they are way beyond our control and our understanding. 
I mean, it's. I, I think this gets back to, well, at least some of what Taleb writes about sometimes. Um, the experience of, like, people think that poker is a high-variance activity, but I'm not sure that's true relative to other things. And, and <laughs> you just experience, exactly. like, it, it's just that we can see the alternatives that did not happen, and it's pretty easy to, to understand them computationally, and um, it's pretty easy to have databases and have some sense of your results and, and know what the nearby possible alternatives would have been. Um, whereas in an ordinary career, uh, you know, you can gain or lose maybe, I don't know, 50%. Your, your salary can go up or down by 50% uh, in a way that will compound over the next 20 years of your life. Uh, the thing is, you just never know what the alternative is. You, you didn't even see it happen or notice it happen. Uh, so, right, right. And, and that's, a, that's a pretty swingy outcome right there. I agree. That's actually a very interesting question to ask, you know, like and, and very interesting observation after that, because that's that's exactly correct. It's uh, there's there's so many things that, that that we don't know, and and you see that, that that's an excellent point. That again, it gives us a little bit of a perspective. I mean, we're sitting at the poker table and. We, we we make we make a thought like this, and then we're thinking to ourselves, yeah, you know, maybe you know, it's not as bad as, as bad as it looks. We 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 still have the emotional responses, of course, because we're human. But again, that's that's all part of the meditative process. You know, we're human, so we need to take that into account. All of all of that stuff. I'm curious what it's like teaching poker. What what do your students show up expecting from the class, and and is that what you want to give them? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, so so n n not not everybody um, uh, is expecting the same things, and it, that, that's actually kind of kind of interesting. So it it really um, okay. Let let me let me take take a step back. I mean, there are people from all um, sort of backgrounds uh, that, that that come to to the classes, and um, and not everybody knows exactly necessarily what 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 poker is. So a lot of people are surprised by some of the things that they see, like. Uh, as I, and, and that comes back to to my own surprise, and and I was actually a math major, and I was surprised on on, on the uh, on the amount of depth that can be found in, in in poker. So there is a huge surprise factor, I would say, um, overall you know, on my students. Like a lot of things that they didn't expect to see. Like for example, um, they would always be surprised because we do like hands-on analysis and. And as you guys know, if you play with with an amateur, like they are very face up in in a certain sense, and um, they would be incredibly surprised that you know um, when they actually finally have a a big a big hand. Uh, that it, it is, you know, uh, they can be called on that because sometimes, you know, before they, they, the hand is over, they ask me, what do you think, what do you think I had? And, you know, like you can probably narrow their range down to a, a significant amount. And they're always very surprised with that. Like, you know, how, how did, how did you know? Like, you know, how, what happened? What people sometimes see, you know, Daniel Legrand or some of the older videos and they're surprised. How, how does he know the hand? And it's, and it's the classic, you know, the, the, the things that um, amateurs, the, the, the same patterns that they keep repeating. And it's obviously for an experienced player, that's much easier than it looks because again, they, uh, there's so many people that, that do the same things. So, um, that is the, the, the there's a to, to answer your question. So the number one is there's a huge surprise factor. Like they, they don't expect 
uh, some of the things to work the way they do uh, when when they come in, in into the classroom. Uh, now, a lot of people also bring uh, some uh, misconceptions from from Hollywood. Not 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 everyone, but a lot of people also bring those misconceptions from Hollywood, which uh, are also being addressed. And um, but my 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 personal favorite is when people because I I. I when when people are, are challenging me, like that is that is has always been my personal favorite. When people start asking questions, you know, I, I call them the. But Duncan, you know, what if, uh, what if, what if this, what if th that, and uh, this this happened a lot because again, I, I encourage my students always to to be engaging. I, I I hate the idea of lecturing. I always like the the idea of a conversation of a back and forth, and. Uh, uh, my my favorite is when 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 people are starting to say, you know, what are you going to do about about this opponent? You know, he bets and he raises me every hand. You know, like what am I going to do? Or the the person who's random, all all of that stuff. That is, I think, uh, and and what um, um, what some people may also find surprising is the is the idea that um, uh, we can we can have conversations about about even these kind of like weird weird topics and sometimes they get they get answers which they consider satisfying and they're trying their own games and um it, it makes for it makes for an interesting dynamic but i would say yeah the number one is probably uh, the, 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 the being surprised but again i'm always i'm always happy to to discuss uh, to discuss these topics because um things when it comes to poker are not as they seem and I'm always happy to, you know, see these uh, uh, these faces light up. <laughs> you know, oh yeah, you know what, uh, you know, you 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 were right about this, or yeah, that's exactly what my opponent did. So um, it, uh, there's a lot of surprise going on, basically. If, if I, again, if to summarize it in one concept. Cool. Who are Do the people teach? taking your classes? Like, yeah. What? So so, yeah, so so go ahead. Sorry. Go no, ahead. no, no. That you got the gist. I was just babbling. <laughs> No, please, please, by all means. <laughs> I, I, I mean, like, just kind of demographically and in terms of their, their backgrounds in, in poker, do you see, like, different types or, or different motivations for people to take the class? Yeah, sure. Um, the, uh, uh, right now, the, we, we have different classes that we're doing. I mean, the, the latest class that I did uh, was actually for, uh, for senior citizens uh, over the age of 50. So we have a program at UCLA called uh, Osher Lifelong uh, Lifetime uh, uh, Osher Learning Lifetime uh, Institute, and that's for people again who who are currently over the age of fifty. They don't necessarily have to be retired. Who want to keep themselves active? That's one of my favorite programs, by the way, and uh, incredibly motivated people, uh, and uh, obviously very successful people. I mean, they, you know, they they, they made it uh, they made it that far. And, but I've also had situations where had students, obviously, you know, like a younger audience, and um, uh, the they, they come from literally all sorts of different all sorts of different backgrounds. Uh, something which I found incredibly interesting is that I see a lot of female population, and the reason why I'm finding I'm finding this uh, interesting it, it could be you know it could be a small sample it could be it could be a, co a coincidence, but I find it interesting um, because. Um, you know, it could uh, potentially be uh, the fact that, you know, predominantly uh, the game is, um, you know, male. I mean, we see mostly men at, at the casinos. So, you know, 
some some of my students you know have told me that you know they they're interested in you know learning a little bit before they go into into a casino and and, and play they, most of them like you know their their husbands are playing or you know their uh, their, their friends are playing and they they, they want to learn the game so um in terms of demographic that would be one 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 part of it but uh, other than that uh, huge diversity um but typically typically i would say though people who actually have have time on on their hands and also you know can 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 afford the classes uh and uh that that would be another part of the of the demographic but they um very a lot of motivation so it's a lot of a lot of motivated people to to the point where you know with uh, with the pandemic when we had to you know close down i mean they would start like playing online on <laughs> on a regular basis they would invite me they would play like every week on on poker stars on uh, it's it's just uh, like in, in, incredible motivation. Something that uh, that really drives me too. It's it's amazing to to, to see that. So they 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 they, re- they really they really like it. Um, it says you teach poker and chess. Do you teach anything else? Yeah, actually, uh, I've I've taught uh, I've taught different classes. Uh, you know, in particular, for example, I've taught um, I've taught this discrete math and, uh, and 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 game theory and, and other mathematical uh, mathematical topics. I mean, I've taught calculus as well. I mean, it's the, the, there's there's a lot of a, a lot of things. But um, I don't know. There's something about there's something about poker that. Uh, scratches in each which is you know both the, the the mathematical aspect of it but also the uh the the human factor and how we can we can combine the two i mean i still i still enjoy doing all the all all the math and i, I still study to this day but i i really i really love poker you're teaching that in a different have way have you ever guys like been in uh, any like have you ever had any I- interaction with people uh, who uh, who are doing this academically? I know. I, I know. I believe it was in 2012. Who uh, Wilma started in MIT, or like was maybe he was the first or one of the first few people. Like, have you guys come across any people who uh, who, who were doing this um, in 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 your podcast? I I, I don't think I recall. Uh, is, is that? See, I we've talked to researchers at the University of Alberta who were doing the AI side right. of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and Martin Harris, who's a several-time guest on the show, he talks about it from a society culture angle, and I think right. that's part of his his uh, his teaching. Right. In terms of people who teach it, um, Bill Chen's been on the show. I know he has a history in poker education. I don't know whether he's actually ever had a class on it. I don't know if various training groups at Susquehanna count <laughs> for, <laughs> for that. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of somebody who's done it in the classroom um yeah maybe maybe not maybe not i think i've seen bill chen's uh, lecture uh, he he posted it on uh, on youtube at some point like there's an mit lecture that he did on uh, uh on early gto i mean when he they they wrote the, the mathematics of poker i mean they 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 had uh, um I, I I remember people coming to me at some point. I was like, Duncan, do you do you understand <laughs> what is he talking about in the mathematics of poker? Do 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 I need do I need to know any any of that stuff? And I've uh, uh, I've always been a a, a a a big proponent of that. You know, sometimes the the math can get in the way if if one is 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 not careful. And I and I know this is this is a little bit of a, a controversial subject. Perhaps we can get a little bit uh, more into it. Like I've always been very very careful with uh, you. You know what what GTO can and what it cannot do, and similarities to um, 
to chess and difference from chess and uh, concerns that people have about uh, RTAs and, and and all this kind of things. What do you guys think about about that stuff? By the way, like I, I mean, I I hear you talk about that on on on, on the podcast. <laughs> but just when I hear you know like in real time, what, what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I I have thoughts. Andrew's the one who wrote a book on it. I don't know if he right. wants to. Go <laughs> Um, yes, I, I was actually, I, I was going to say just on the subject of RTAs specifically, I, I think this is kind of not getting to the part of the question that you're actually most interested in, but I mean, I think that just, it is inevitable. I mean, it's the sort of thing that, um, it's just one of those, you know, you can't really police the rule. I guess ultimately, like, I'm not a big fan of creating rules that you don't have a way of enforcing because mm-hmm. it just ends up punishing the people who are sort of like, like myself, like I'm not going to knowingly break the rules but i it's like frustrating then knowing that people who are are going to get an advantage as a result of that and that there's not going to be any actual consequence to them for for doing it so i think like we kind of just have to design online poker i mean i don't know if it means different forms of poker. i'm not sure what what means it would have to take but i don't think just a policy of saying like oh well you're simply not allowed to do that um is is an option right no, that's that, that. That's a good point. Are are you guys worried about uh, on online in particular? Uh, short answer: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I am. I'm. One thing I say on the show a lot is I think the role of cheating in the history of poker and probably the present of poker has been right. underrated. Um, and uh, a lot of if there was a time when there wasn't much cheating in poker, it was a sort of interesting. Um, and highly contingent uh, a, a sort of set of facts, set of historical and, and, and contextual facts that made that the case. And it's not at all clear to me that those facts uh, still um, obtain today. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I would say significantly more concerned about cheating than the average poker player slash commentator. Right. That's that. That makes a lot of sense. And it's and I mean we have. Uh, we have some lessons to learn also from uh, from the the chess world, and uh, there's there's cheating there even when you know people are not playing for for money. Like you know, mm-hmm. you go to places like chess.com, and and and, and they've employed some uh, um, AI to be able to track when somebody you know plays with really high accuracy. So it's a little bit easier to do it in chess. To um, you can do statistical analysis uh, based on the moves that somebody is making, and if they're making like too accurate of moves or very close to what an engine, they call them engines, we call them solvers, what an engine would, would suggest, um, you know, usually this this person is, is being banned. But there is cheating. There's cheating even at the at the level where there's there's no money involved. There's just rating points and, and, and bragging rights and, and, and stuff like that, and people still do it. Yeah. And I mean, I, um, I don't know, I, I, I don't want to make my background seem um, different from what it is. Uh, I've, I've led in many slash most ways and a tremendously uh, privileged mm-hmm. life. But, um, you know, I've also worked, I've, I've logged a lot of hours at nearly minimum wage jobs and I've spent at least some of my life um, in the company of people who would go to great lengths, honest or dishonest for very, very small amounts of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, right, right. And, and that experience uh, definitely influences the lengths I think people will go to for, you know, orders of magnitude more money. And I think a lot of people in the poker world are very naive about that. Yeah, no, that's, that's, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, 
what, what do you, what do you guys think about um but specifically like uh gto strategies and uh, and and i guess to make the the question a little bit more precise i mean we've seen in chess for example that uh, people learn a lot from from um from the computers and they were able to transfer some of that knowledge uh to the table uh, but not all of it and then chess itself is still very much alive you know when again there's no uh help with technology what do you think about uh the impact of of of, of game theory optimal strategies and and solvers at live let's say live cash games and tournaments live games in general hmm. i've got some thoughts but again i'm the wrong person to answer this one <laughs> I'm, I'm tempted to think that it's going to be Bigger. So, like the the very naive view on this, or, or and I think the sort of um, self interestedly optimistic view on this is just like, oh, all these live players are too lazy to actually like study. You know, like the random recreational players that you're playing with at you know one two or two five table or whatever. You know, they're not. They don't even know what a solver is. They're certainly not going to be you know studying solvers or something like that. And I think what that misses is they don't need to be doing the solver work themselves. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there are assholes like me writing books that just <laughs> <laughs> boil down. Uh, I should say me, I know, um, <laughs> boiling down the, uh, the the principles to the point. Where, so, like, I mean, this stuff does filter its way down through the, the poker ecosystem. And obviously, they're not going to be implementing those strategies with the, the precision that you or I are, and we're not implementing it with the precision that Isaac Axton is. But you know, I think like ultimately the this caliber of play is going to continue to, to rise as people are learning from those things and um, I mean I think it's sort of like HUDs or anything else I mean it's just like it's ultimately it's an opportunity or it's it's something that you can do to, to come back to that Tommy Angelo uh, reciprocality again it's something right. that you can do more or less better than your opponents I mean I suppose the issue here is that it is ultimately shrinking the the size of the available edge. I mean, even if you are using it better than your opponents, you know, still the amount of money that you can win is equal to the magnitude of the mistakes that your opponents are making. So if if they are um, making mistakes that have less consequence to them, then, um, then there is less money to be won. But I do think also a lot of people, I mean, I, I think the, the other in the opposite direction, naive argument is that solvers are just going to turn everybody into robots. And I mean, short of actual robots, which is the, like the real time assistance problem. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, there is the possibility online that like you will be playing against, or I mean, I guess in some cases you already are playing against actual robots, but um, I, I think the idea that, that there's no like creativity left in the game as a result of solvers existing is, is very wrong. I mean, everything that we're doing with solvers is, um, Again, with the exception of real-time assistance, it is that you're trying to extrapolate. You know, like you're not. It's not like you run a solve for exactly the situation that you're in. And even if you did, like the answer is probably a mix. And so, like you still have to kind of make a judgment call as to um, as to which direction you actually want to go. So, I think that you know it is useful um, to open your mind to things that you might not have considered before. That you know. I'm like I'm much better at you know finding bluffs in unconventional situations now than than I used to be, for instance, and just kind of knowing when you have a choice and, and when the decision is more like straightforward, I guess. But I, I don't think that it's you know every, everyone is going to turn into robots except maybe online. And then that makes a lot of sense. Uh, what what do you guys think about uh, the the idea that because there's still something that. Um, 
um, I, I find quite peculiar that people are not talking about. There is like at least three levels, if not more, of um, of error of um, of, of leakage of some sort uh, when when it comes to the uh, to GTO strategy. But by, but by, by I mean the following. Uh, for for example, first of all, um, the uh, there, there's not GTO solutions, right? There's only GTO approximations. Uh, what 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 the solvers are doing are basically they're approximating the problem. Now, on a second level, what they're approximating, it's not even the problem. It's actually a estimate of the problem. So it's basically approximations of estimates. And then at the third level, the mixed strategies, Andrew, that that you mentioned, or like you know, the, the when the the answer is is some sort of like of a mixed strategy, requires you know very efficient randomizing that um, not even random generators can actually do it properly. Of course, I mean, they can do it at a, at a reasonable approximation. Computers can do random things or pseudo-random things at a reasonable approximations, but but humans, we are notoriously <laughs> terrible at, at randomizing. And, and of course, I mean, people are always talking about, you know, like the, the mini randomizers, you know, how you're going to look at your watch, what, what second is at the time or, you know. But, but, but again, these are, again, approximations of approximations of approximations. So how, how well... Uh, do you guys think that you know human beings uh, can can bring those uh, uh, those those ideas uh, to, to to the table? Because between all these three levels, I mean, we're missing a lot. You know, like it's again, it's an approximation of an estimate that needs to be randomized. These are like three different levels, and at each level, there's significant leakage, and and, and to, to a point that potentially, like the strategy that is being employed. Uh, it, it may not be. Uh, I mean, it's it's definitely to a certain uh, to a certain degree sound again because I mean the the, the, the suggestions of the solvers are not, are not are not terrible suggestions, but um, how how confident are we that you know they're just not better strategies uh, which are exploitable strategies, right? Because again, what we're seeing is not is not actually GTO. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty anti-randomization myself. Uh, like when I play online, I'll usually go to like random.org and generate a list of you know 30 random numbers and put them in a um a, a notepad. So I sort of like if I decide I want a random number for something, I can just like grab the, the top one off of that list. But like I often take, and I don't know that I've ever taken more than 10 off the list, and frequently I don't take any. Like I'm my my objective when I'm playing, even against reasonably good players, let alone you know against people that I know are not. Um, even you know, trying to be unexploitable. Uh, my objective is not usually because, as you said, I mean those things are they're already approximations. So by the time you've you've, I, I think the solvers are just useful to be able to say like where the decision is close and where it's not, or where um, you have a basic understanding of like you want to do a lot of betting in this situation, you do a, a small amount of betting, you prefer larger bet sizes or smaller bet sizes. I think it it's, gives clues as to some strategic avenues or something like that. Um, I don't think, I mean, I certainly don't have a level of knowledge of, you know, solvers to the point where I can say, okay, I'm supposed to be betting uh, 33% of the time with this hand in this situation. Now let's generate a random number. Um, certainly not to the point where like, whether that number is truly random, like that's far from my biggest leakage in, in terms of like, whether I'm implementing that strategy correctly. 
Right. No. No. That 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 makes perfect sense. And and I and I would also argue that uh, you you nailed it in the head there. Like I, I think bed sizing will be something we can certainly learn from from solvers. Like bed sizing more 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 that than you know like the the, the randomization. Uh, and uh, I think I think bed sizing would be would be something something for, uh, for sure that we, we yeah. as a as a takeaway. Um, Wait, can go I, ahead. Yeah. yeah okay. I, I just want to say there's. In some cases, there are there's quantitative um, answers to the questions you're asking. I know in mathematics of poker, there in these are toy games, but there are questions mm-hmm. like uh, how much is it worth it to be able to check raise, and right. the approximation of the game where you can't check raise sometimes is not you know the values don't change very much if you let both players check raise. And similarly, um, when I talk to like say Andrew about a hand. Sometimes he'll say things like, and here I'm sort of idealizing, well, I put in these constraints, um, and then I simplified the problem, and the answer didn't change very much. And if you have good instincts, and if you've been doing this for a while, I think that eventually amounts to strong evidence that in a lot of cases, a simplified version of the problem is quantitatively like very, very close, like in terms mm-hmm. of what the value to each player is, is, is very, very close. Um, so, you know, given that... The first error you you mentioned that that like the thing that's being modeled doesn't map onto reality perfectly. I mean, sometimes that's a large source of error. In other cases, it's like very 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 small to the mm-hmm. point of being almost zero. And then that second source of error that um, the way we can model it doesn't get close to like the actual solution. Well, sometimes I think we have quantitative um, evidence that it it in fact gets very 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 close. Um, you know, then the fact that it's something that a human being cannot really enact, like that's a different thing. Um, I think that's like a pretty subtle question, and Andrew's answered it well. I, I would just say that uh, a main purpose of randomization on early streets is board coverage, and as long as you're not sort of opening up glaring board coverage issues in the way you're misrandomizing, I think also that that third source of error can be really quite small. Um, yeah, I. I, I just want to say that there's, we have quantitative evidence about sure. how, 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 how big these sources of error are. And in at least a lot of cases, they're not very big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's also a very good point. And, and what do you guys think of like the, 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 the million dollar question of, uh, in the end of the day, bottom line, should a player play exploitatively, or should they uh, go and play a GTO? And of course, it depends on a, on a, on a million different factors. But what would be the, those factors to, to to consider? I mean, it kind of feels like like it's not really a choice. I mean, <laughs> you can't play right. it exploitatively as a human. Um, I mean, I right. guess the question is like, really, do you um, like how much should you be even trying to aspire Try, to, to what the solver would do? And I, I, I tend to come down on the side of like you should be trying to play exploitatively, and the solver is mostly to give you an idea of uh, like how to do that and what the opportunity. Like, I think you do. I think it's very useful to understand, to have a rough idea of what the equilibrium would look like so that you can mm-hmm. then identify both when when your opponent is doing something that you can exploit. Um, so, you know, sometimes those things are very obvious. Like, you know, we all know players who call too much on the river and we don't need a solver to, like, help us identify that they call too much on the river. But how confident are you that you can identify your opponent's not check-raising often enough on certain turn cards? You know, like, that's the kind of thing where... And then, like, then the secondary question of, well, what 
does that mean? Like, what should you do to take advantage of that? Okay, so one thing is probably you want to bet more often on that turn, but you might it like probably also has implications for your flop and your river strategy if you know that that player is not chuck raising enough on the turn. So I think that considering the kind of like second and third order implications of, of some of those mistakes, I think solvers are also very useful for for that. But um, I think I mean maybe I don't even think in super high rollers really like the best players are trying to replicate what solvers. I think there are player there are players who are trying to do that but my understanding is that those are um often not the like very biggest uh winners in in those games um but no, i i do not think it's good advice for basically anybody to to try to replicate unless you're cheating and like literally have a solver sure. available to you then like that would be a very good like if you if you could have a bot that literally had solved no limit and you could have it playing online for you all day all night like absolutely that would be a very profitable thing to do <laughs> um but short of that like i don't think it's what you should be trying to do when you're like sitting there as a human playing poker right and and, and, and actually that that to, to your point andrew what, what you're basically describing is very consistent to what happened to chess uh, if I hear what what you're saying correctly, is you're basically saying we can learn, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but we can learn from the solvers outside of the of the table. You know, like in 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 a privacy of our own home when we actually study the game, but then when we when we when we play the game, uh, we, we we use some of these tools that we we'll learn, but we're not trying to mimic them uh, perfectly. We just uh, we just use them as 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 a study guide. Would, would that be an accurate an accurate uh, you know summary? Yes, and I will say, I mean, I'm I'm not and by any means a, a, I'm really not a chess player at all, <laughs> let alone a serious right. one. But like, I am aware of that much about how chess computers have influenced chess, right. and so I mean, I'm sure that's influenced my view of of what solvers are you know can and, and are likely to do for poker right yeah no that's um, that, that makes perfect sense you know it's, it's, it's just like you know it feel there's also like i mean there's also a, a difference to be fair with uh, with uh with chess and and, and poker because in, in chess there is an absolute best move uh whereas in in, in poker is more complicated than that and uh and, and the implications uh, are, are grave because uh if Again, uh, if, if someone someone can actually make a move which would be considered a bad move against a certain player, but a good against another player, so it creates it, it creates complexities. And and one of the very big complexities when it comes to to poker in particular is that just because something is optimal, it doesn't mean is the most profitable. And that is actually something that uh, newer players. Uh, don't necessarily know right off the bat. You know, some people think that you know a game theory optimal means the most profitable, and that is not true. What game theory optimal means, I don't care what my opponent does. In, in other words, you know, we can <laughs> may take our action and go sip a, a, a cup of coffee, and we don't care if our opponent calls <laughs> or calls, or you know, it, it it really it really doesn't matter. Which means we basically lock a certain amount of profitability, and we're happy with it. But potentially that could be that could mean that we leave money on the table. And this is something that you know. Again, for 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 newer players, um, and I, I kind of like put my kind of game game theory hat on. I, you know, this is something that newer players um, it, it, it's worth considering, pondering about, thinking about. Like the idea that um, you know, locking a profit on a certain situation uh, might be good against a, a better competition, but it might be a, a terrible idea against a weaker competition or, or people who uh, you know you, you have a better understanding on their tendencies. So, um, and again, like, you know, optimality uh, doesn't mean uh, max, max profitability. 
what level of awareness have you found that you know the, the, the people that you're who are coming to your poker classes have you seen an increase over time in their just like awareness of the existence of um, computers that are you know are available to help you play poker better? Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, for sure, and uh, uh, there is. However, I don't see uh, I don't see much uh, much concern because again, most of the the students are on the uh, on, on the beginner side. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but yeah, they're, they're they're definitely aware, and uh, and and in particular when 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 it comes to chess, um, because th that's another thing which is really surprising to students. You know, they can sit down, they can play with a chess chess application, and uh, I mean, you know. Chess will demolish even the the world champion. You know, the, uh, Magnus Carlsen, the, the current reigning world champion, famously has said, "I would never play against the computer. What's the point? You know, it would demolish me, and I will <laughs> learn nothing." So, there's, there is there there's no point. So, the, yeah, the, it's uh, it's it's definitely it's definitely a, a surprising factor for sure. Like, and they they they're aware of it, hundred percent. And you, you've seen that like increase over time. I, like I, I guess as uh, as these things have become more prominent, uh, I feel like there's been more attention to them, like in popular press. And uh, I'm just curious, like what kind of trends you've you've seen in this regard? Right. Yeah. No. I mean, people people are asking me that a lot, and uh, it's um, again, I wouldn't necessarily uh, there there is interest, but I would say there's probably not 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 much of a concern uh, at those level at those levels. But yeah. Pe Definitely, people are have have definitely increased interest. You know, what are what are those things? What is it exactly that that they do? And I'm 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 trying my best, you know, like to 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 explain what what is it that they do and what is it that they they they, they do not do. Of course, I mean, not not always I can do that that, that correctly because I, I don't know exactly what goes 100% into the software. And that is and that is another thing. It, it is an incredibly complex system. So for for even for us to be able to understand exactly, like let's say PyoSolver, what is exactly, like what is the exact input and the exact output? Um, are they considering, you know, like what kind of increments? I mean, a designer of this software will be able to answer all those questions, but for, for a, you know, a software user, th these questions are not directly accessible, right? Like, for example, one question that I would I would need to know, and again, I mean, this this do some someone who does research on the internet they can find those answers uh, is that you know how many uh, you know uh, increment bets are they considering because again they have to discretize discretize it they, they cannot just you know consider all of the all of the possible things and how much do we lose like what 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 is the cap if we put like all the way up to 2x or 3x of, of, of pot size bet uh, how that, does that shift the strategies if we were allowed you know higher uh, bet sizes. How um, uh, how would that adjust uh, adjust the results? And how many increments have they been considered? The increments in particular are very very important because if we we haven't allowed for um, you know small enough increments, then really we're we're not necessarily solving uh, the, the 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 game of the game of no limit. We're we're solving a discrete version of of of, of no limit, uh, which may make sense in. Um, Short stack games, but not necessarily in, in deeper stack games, where we have to to consider all those all those varieties. And I, I mean, these these are well known problems. I mean, people people know those things. It's not. I'm not. I'm not trying to to reinvent the wheel here. But there is there's there's, there's a lot of um, I don't know. I'm going to call it like opacity of some sort. It's it's difficult to to know exactly what goes into the into the calculation. And one has to be very very careful because there there is a lot of uh, fi fine prints in there.
but but I but I do agree that uh, generally speaking, you know, we have reasons to believe, like good evidence, that they're uh, they, at least uh, at least the results are are closer um, to, um, uh, to, to uh, at least the results are, are are good enough to uh, to say that, th that they're suggesting winning strategies. Um, Duncan, I'm happy to keep talking. I suspect Nate may have to go it too. If that's the case, I wanted to give him a chance to um, to ask any last questions. Oops. Thanks. I've got a 2.15, but I do have like, you know, 13 minutes then. So. <laughs> okay. uh, and also, I mean, I, I don't want to presume anything, Duncan. I, I know I told you an hour, so um, if, if you need to go, that's uh, also fine. Otherwise, I'm, I'm enjoying this and be happy to keep talking to you a bit longer. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm having I'm having a lot of fun. This is uh, this is something that you know I've been, uh, I, I you know I've I've mentioned that I mentioned that a couple of times privately and uh, also also publicly. I mean, this is something that I've uh, I've been familiar with uh, your work, guys, for a long time. And uh, you know, like I specifically also mentioned, if you remember, Andrew, one of your uh, one of your articles back in. Uh, uh, I thought it was in 2008. Turns out it was in 2009. That that article from you know like how it doesn't make much sense to um, to uh, betting for information and I and I that actually it was during the time where as I was I was starting out as 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 a when I told you, you know I was doing that research back back in the day it was basically around that time that I was I was starting out to be more serious about it and it, it really changed my, my my perspective about the game like it's such you know for for your viewers I mean if they don't if they don't know what I'm talking about, just just Google, you know, <laughs> Andrew Broca's thinking poker. Uh, uh, why, uh, you know, betting betting for information? And it was actually an article that was suggested to me uh, from I remember back in the day. It was two plus two, and it was, um, yeah. The, the 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 reason why the reason why I I like it so much, and I've, again I've mentioned that publicly as well, is is because it doesn't. Um, it it like there there is an issue that I've noticed a lot of my students uh, making, and and that issue is they they're always trying to somehow um, m turn a game of imperfect information into a game of perfect information, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. So as human beings, we we feel so uncomfortable with the idea that there's imperfect information. So what that uh, and, and again, of course, I'm I'm basically paraphrasing and summarizing, but what that that article uh, did for me it made me realize that there it's not about throwing the imperfect information out of the equation is learning to embrace it it's part of the whole game you know and and that is actually very consistent with what people do in statistical analysis right that's exactly what statistical analysis is doing like you know when people are trying to find for example you know um when a vaccine is, is a vaccine going to be successful it's not like we can narrow it down to the correct answer yes or no what we're basically doing is we're just finding evidence that will help us narrow it down up to a certain point which we cannot narrow it down any further and th that is the best we can do so it's not exactly that we're throwing uh, the imperfect information of the window it's not exactly that we uh, throwing um, I guess uncertainty out of the window it's just we uh, we narrow it down to, to to a point where we're comfortable to navigate uh, navigate it and that that was basically what the article was doing was saying uh, again and, I, and, I, and I'm paraphrasing it because I mean like this this article I've thought about it for for a long long time right it has like some for, for your listeners uh, honestly like if if, if, if if people haven't haven't read it I mean it has it, amazing gems in there the idea that you know your opponent's hand doesn't matter is in there uh, the the idea that uh, you, the, all the information you want you already have you know you don't have to pay extra uh, to find out, but a, 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 a lot of a lot of interesting a lot of interesting gems there. Um, but 
but yeah, just I just want to to mention that because it's uh, I, I I I do like the in case it's not obvious by now, like I I do like the idea of extracting extracting um, um, bottom lines and, and 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 big pictures. And when it comes to poker, it is actually surprisingly difficult to do so. It is very difficult to extract ideas that are actually uh, uh, applicable. And uh, and I thought well, you, you were one of the, the few people, uh, Andrew, like that, that did that did that successfully. And I think that is that that is incredible and uh, and very important, honestly. So well, thank you for that. So I wanted I wanted to say at least that before Nate Nate goes away because again, also I wanted to say thank you to both of you because you guys have have changed the the, the way that I'm I'm thinking about the game and I and I don't take that. Like, that's very kind. It means a lot. Thank you. Yes, thank you. I will say I'm um, like I, I I think a lot of the older stuff that I've written, the sort of like fundamental ideas mostly hold up pretty well, I hope. But I'm very aware that like, if you go back to stuff I wrote 10 years ago, some of the examples are pretty like, you know, like I, I think the more you get into the specifics, the more that um, it's kind of like all right, just the poker community's understanding of concepts in, in general and, and my own have improved over time where like it would be very easy for someone to go back through and like nitpick and be like, oh, well, you know, that's a ridiculous, like, of course, no one's ever folding that there. How could you ever think that? And like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little wary of like sending people back to go read sure. my articles from, from 10 years ago, but I do appreciate the compliment. Sure. Sure, but l- let me say something about that, though, if you don't mind, Please. because there is there is a concept from from uh, again I, I mentioned him earlier, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. It's it's a concept where he calls Lindy the idea that certain ideas that have survived. Uh, he 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 uses that for. I, I, I don't want to get into you know religion or politics, but I mean he, he has an argument which I which I really like. It's like a, he he says that about uh, he says that about religion. People can use it for anything. It it, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. It's, I'm I'm not making a statement either way. But basically, it, it goes something like this. Uh, it, it's not uh, it's not that religions have survived. He says it, he says that it's those who employed them that did. The the, the idea of this, the idea of Lindy, uh, is that something that actually survives. It means that for one way or another, it has value to people. Whether or not we agree or disagree, it's a completely different matter. I, I don't even care to go into the politics. But the, the Lindy concept here apply very much to, to, to that article because it's something that has survived. And, and of course, we cannot – now we can go back to, to, to Thomas Edison, right, who, who basically, you know, when he finally found uh, – you know, the, he, he invented the, uh, the light bulb – you know, was interviewed famously by uh, by a lady, I believe, and and she asked him, like, how, how do you feel that after thousand, uh, you know, uh, after thousand failed attempts, you finally know how to to make a light bulb? And he was like, thousand failed attempts. I know thousand ways that it doesn't work. What the hell do you know? <laughs> you know, so like all, all all of these articles that you're talking about, I think it's the you know you, you should be proud of, right? I mean, like all of the things that you know the game has evolved off. You know, may, they not be may not be useful anymore. But the fact that there is something that you know has the Lindy property that has survived, right, has the usefulness. You know, it, that, that's I think that's that's incredible for, for, from something like 2009. And I still to this day actually I send it's it's up there with you know like top concepts that I, I send people to go in and and read resources, you know, like up with other concepts, which I think they're very fundamental for poker, like the concept of reciprocality from Tommy Angel that I mentioned earlier, which I think... Yeah, that was a huge very, game changer very, for me. Right? So, did you, did you actually uh, did you actually read him? I heard him talking about it. How did you first find out about it? Um, yeah, I found that article 
I don't even know how Tommy Insula would come onto my radar. Um, I don't think I'd read his book. I mean, I think that was like what prompted me to then go and, and read it. It might have been Nate talking about him, actually. There's, there's a fair chance. I don't remember. Um, but yeah, I, I think I just like had was maybe like considering getting his book or, or something like that and, and found his website and he had some free articles on there. And one of them was you know, this idea of reciprocality. And I guess me being like, uh, and I am at, at that time, especially I was like straight out of college, so still very kind of philosophy minded. You know, I was looking for more of a like high level understanding of poker more so than you know, very fine mechanics of you know three bat sizing or something like that like i just wanted to sort of to understand like poker like fundamental poker concepts and so that was one that i'd never heard anyone else mention before but when i read it i was like oh wow this makes a lot of sense and just like understanding because it is so easy to like it just I guess coming back to that idea of variance, you know, people end up focusing on so many of the wrong things because they're like, well, what's the point of like worrying over the size of my three bet when I'm just losing 100 big blinds, king versus ace, or winning 100 big blinds, aces versus kings? Like, and then I'm quibbling over whether I should be raising to like 2.3 or 2.5x blinds pre flop. Like, that's such a tiny thing compared to, but then like in another sense, that's the only thing that matters because like everyone is getting the 100 big blinds, aces versus kings and losing the 100 big blinds, kings versus aces. So, you know, like, it's really the only thing that matters is those little things that you're doing. Absolutely, yeah, and I and I thought I thought, thought that was brilliant, and 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 you know, like spe speaking of of Tommy Angelo, I mean, he, he even even today, you know, he, he says some things that you know a lot of people may find controversial, but um, I, I think it, it's at least worth pondering about like for example one of his uh, newer ideas if, if i'm not mistaken that's a fairly new idea he has he has a concept which he calls uh auto fold ranges now of course like in in this day and age anything that, <laughs> anything that anybody does automatically is it's a very very dangerous proposition and i and i can i can hear you know like the uh you know a lot of people basically screaming at the, the phones or, 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 you know, however they're, they're listening to this. And, and I would agree, you know, it's, it's very difficult to say to anything to do it automatically. However, there is something, there's something interesting about uh, having specific rules that can be applicable, which sure on the one hand may sacrifice some EV, but could potentially save people EV long term by doing other bigger mistakes, and that's more applicable. Again, I'm talking about newer players, right? I mean, this is this is again we're going back into the fundamentals more than you know, like uh, players who've been playing this game for 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 many 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 years. But having that idea of like very simple rules, which sometimes can be silly, right? I mean, I would never call you know a three bet from out of position with anything less than an ace, which is basically what he was uh, he was suggesting. I know that sounds really really silly. But it can potentially help people throw a lot of the noise out of their heads and then start, you know, building from there. It would be like, I like to think of it as a, as a Picasso painting. Like Picasso famously, you know, he was drawing again and again and again and again. And every time he was drawing less and less and less, right? And then he, he eventually he, he looked, he, he reached at a certain point of abstractism that basically his world was his canvas. He can do anything he wanted because, again, he threw away all of that noise and then he kind of like, you know, I know it sounds like very, very artistic and very weird to some people, but I just think that it's just interesting to to, to ponder about, and it could be com complete dead end. But I mean, I, I, I like thinking about those <laughs> things. I, I don't know what you guys, what you guys think about, you know, like some of these ideas which are which are strategically wrong, but they could um, um, uh, unlock the door for for an easier game and like. Uh, 
can create consistency to have, let's say, a B plus at least game because again, they're they're simpler rules. I don't know what you think about these 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 ideas in general. Um, okay, can I take the first swing at this one? Yeah, please. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot to say about that. I mean, the my my angle on that question is like, how valuable is it to have heuristics? And I'll say that in the last five years, I've come to develop many, many more heuristics than I used to. And just my life generally has a lot more of, you know, auto fold ranges in it, so mm-hmm. to speak, than, than mm-hmm. it used to. And I'm really grateful for that. So like, um, like mental overhead is just so important to eliminate. So things like working out, just taking as much decision making out of that as I can, mm-hmm. because so much of the pain of exercising is the pain of anticipation and the pain of deciding. And so the less anticipating and the less deciding I have to do, um, the more and more efficiently I exercise, you know, it, uh, in terms of like parenting, in terms of like keeping my kids safe, uh, all, all these things, like they, they may seem like inefficient heuristics, but like, I mean, so like I, I I dry off a cast iron pan every single time, I dry off a cast iron pan by lighting a stove element under an empty pan. I use the timer on the stove and I set it for a minute, even if I'm not going to be doing anything, just because I want to have the loud beep when I know it's time to turn off the element so that I don't leave the element on. Like, I am it. I ever going to leave it on? Maybe, maybe not. Like, is that efficient? Like, over the whole course of my life, am I going to spend more effort? you know, like turning on and off that timer, like, I don't know. But for me, having that heuristic and that safety net and just making it automatic has tremendous value in my life. And making more of my life like that has been really valuable for me. That's great. That's great. Andrew? Um, yeah, no, I, I also think that it's a big deal. And I mean, what it actually prompted me to think about was something that I, I wanted to say about your book. And I, I feel like this could be interpreted as not a compliment, but I definitely mean it as a compliment, which is that in a lot of ways, it, it doesn't feel like a book that was written by a mathematician. Like, I, I feel like people's like stereotype of a mathematician <laughs> would be exactly the opposite of what you're saying, you know, where you're sort of very focused on like, oh, but that is incorrect. That's not the right way to do it. You know? And you know, that, that you're like, you've got a whole uh, chapter on, on like the human sort of like understanding psychology and, and talking about, you know, why people do the things that they do. And I mean, I guess part of this is knowing that you are teaching more. I mean, I think this, honestly, like, I think very few players are at the level of precision where like their number one goal should be getting, like maximizing the accuracy of every single decision they make, as opposed to trying to figure out like which decisions are the ones worth like spending more mental effort on. Again, like maybe the super high rollers are at that point, even then probably not. But I think for, you know, 99.999% of poker players, yeah, I think like having more heuristical, um, I mean, some of it's the actual decision-making, some of it is, is kind of like the heuristics for which ones to expend your your mental energy on. But um, I mean, I, I think that's like a great strength of your book is... Um, Thank you. Yeah, it's just like not approaching things dogmatically. <laughs> Maybe that's just a very unfair stereotype of mathematicians. <laughs> No, 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 no. You, you know, I, I, you know, it's. Uh, I, 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 I see your point, and I, I really, I really appreciate it. I, I think, uh, it is. Um, it, it is. It was my number one concern, but it was my my number one concern on both directions. My number one concern was, uh, I do not want to be inaccurate enough so that people start complaining, and I don't want to be accurate enough so that people start complaining. <laughs> that was, you see, that was my problem, and and what ended up 
and, and, and the reason for that is because, again, when I, when I was, was writing this book, uh, first of all, I mean, the voices of my students were constantly in my head, you know, all of the questions that were asking. But at the same time, you know, there's a huge spectrum of students, right? There's always going to be people who want to get the big, the big, big picture idea, but there's also people who want to be nitty-gritty about stuff. And, and, and for that reason, you know, as I've said before, my book ended up having like 300 footnotes because I was always worried about this one student who'd say, but Duncan, yeah, technically, yeah. And I was like, yeah, well, technically you're right, and I understand that, but at least I want to I want to write one paragraph. I don't want to write eleven, and and for that reason, you know, like I had like a lot of a, 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 a lot of footnotes footnotes in there. But but the other thing about uh, about mathematician uh, mathematicians in general, and this is something that has has concern me a lot because again i mean I, I get a lot of questions well well duncan i mean you know like uh your your dissertation the stuff that uh, you know the, the papers that uh, the research that you're doing like does does anybody care about that stuff how can i apply it how can i make money out of it and 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 again i mean again i'm, I'm, I'm talking to, uh, to you know uh, uh, <laughs> ancient, ancient texts <laughs> phd philosophy you know major like you guys are you probably face this kind of similar questions, and and they're very, very, very valid, valid, valid questions. But I think one one important one important situation is that um, math. Again, it comes back to uh, essentially what Nate beautifully described with with the heuristics. Now, you know, sometimes we may have to like at least again i'm i'm speaking personal experience anecdotal uh, subjective um and incredibly flawed uh the uh, you know sometimes you know by 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 doing all of these numbers and by like going with all of these details Sometimes, I mean, we can kind of like run a full circle, you know, well, okay, we, we saw all of these numbers. What do these numbers really tell us, though? Uh, these numbers tell us that sometimes, you know, um, for example, I'll give you a very simple example that, you know, statistics can be described like that. Uh, just because something is possible, it doesn't mean it's probable. However, nothing in statistics is definite. So these are like basic ideas that people can actually describe very precisely by using z-scores and p-values and Gaussian distributions, you know, but th th it's, it's exactly the same idea. So sometimes, you know, we can run full circle and out of all of these, you know, like crazy numbers that are on the piece of paper, basically we can ask ourselves, what is the bottom line? And, and that's where the meditative process comes into play because answering that question is not easy. What is the bottom line? <laughs> like sometimes I don't understand half of the things that I'm reading or, or studying, right? I mean, math is hard, you know, so what is the bottom line? What is the bottom line of poker? You know, and it's, it's, it's very, very, very difficult. And sometimes, you know, we use other people's heuristics or our own heuristics or, you know, we read a, a very, very hard paper, which is like, you know, goes into all of the details. But again, what, 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 what is the bottom line? So, uh, you know, I, I, I would never take this as anything anything but a compliment, and I really, really, really appreciate it. Um, but yeah, whether or not you know it's it, it succeeded, will on, only only time will tell. But I, there is like a huge effort, and 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 I, I'm I'm bubbling here, and I apologize for that. But w w one of the things that uh, happens to me a lot, and I don't know because you guys are writers too, and I don't know if it happens to you. Like I find myself often writing and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting because I feel like I'm not capturing the essence of of the text. Does that happen to you guys at all when you when you're being creative about something? Yeah, absolutely. But like I, a lot of drafts. I, every good writer I know has a lot of drafts. That just means you're doing it right. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I do actually have to like jump off to the call. But it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you, and uh, yeah, have, have a great day. I, I I really hope we stay in touch. 
Absolutely. Thank you, Nate. Have a great one. Thank you. Bye, Nate. Um, yeah, I actually, my, um, in, in the introduction to my second book, I talked about needing to, uh, or just like there's that constant tension between the higher level of like accuracy and, and detail, mm -hmm. and then also not wanting to like overwhelm people or wanting to be able to give people like actionable advice because it's you know, like that old joke you know everything in poker the answer is always just it depends and you know everyone has to draw that line somewhere and of course the more sophisticated of a player you are like the more and more you're drawing that line on, on the side of like wanting to be very detailed and, and take a lot of factors into account but it is tricky when you're writing you know doing something like a book that's first you know when i'm coaching one-on-one -on -one, i can sort of work when you get to know the student and then you, you you have a sense of where exactly to draw that line for that particular person and how that line moves as they become more sophisticated as a player but when you're writing something like a book that ideally you want it to be read by a fairly wide audience um you know i don't even think it's fair strictly to call your book a beginner book like i think there's plenty that even people who are not like new to poker would would get a lot out of it um, i don't even know if you are calling it a beginner book or maybe i'm just patronizing you of it um no 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 i i i honestly like didn't like i wanted to be like more of a, a fundamentals book than than a yeah that's a much book, better right? way to put because it yeah, it's just, I feel like literally I was trying to answer, you know, the, the question of what, why is it that uh, people who, you know, study the game and they take the game seriously and they're willing to sacrifice fun for profitability, why those people make money over people who want to sacrifice profitability in order to have fun? So that the, the other way, again, I was trying to look in those dualities, right? I mean, the, what is it? And there's absolutely nothing wrong with, you know, fun is great, profitability is great. Sometimes, I mean, there are odds with one another, so we can't have them both. So why is it that the, the person who prioritizes one over the other, you know, makes money over the, the person who does the opposite? And, and, and it's surprisingly, again, I'm speaking subjectively. It's a surprisingly difficult question for me because, um, you know, the, uh, to, to me, like, simple, quote, unquote, simple answers like be patient or, you know, play good hands. I, I don't think that's, that, that's you know, that does justice to how complicated, you know, that, that, that question is. And it's, it's, it's not enough. I mean, I know a lot of players, for example, who, who are patient and play good hands and they're not profitable. So... It, it must be more more than that, and and, and, and incidentally, like what what would be like some of the like if you were to name, uh, it can be anywhere between one and five or or more or, or less or uh, top things which th you think come at the core of of, of profitable poker. What what would you say? And uh, it don't have to be in any. I don't know. It's a, it's a weird question to ask and a very deep question, and uh, you don't have to answer it in any order or, you know. What would you say? Like some of these things are, or maybe what comes to mind first? I mean, so I'm, one thing that I thought of just while you were talking is I, I wrote a piece recently that I think is, is you know, maybe trying to, to strike at the same question that you are obviously in, in much longer form, which I think I call it like the professional mindset or something like that. Because we, one thing that I've encountered is like a lot of the people that I coach are not professional poker players. You know, like literally they're, they have another profession, but they are people sure. who want to make money from poker. So I'm like, whether or not you're literally, literally a professional, like you do have to approach poker as, you know, 
if you want to make money from this thing, like it's not just going to be, I'm going to keep getting all the enjoyment. Like I've been a recreational poker player, you know, either losing or like break even or whatever they are. You know, I've been doing this for fun for a long time. I would like to make mm-hmm. money from doing it, but it's, it's not just like you're going to keep all the fun and then just add money on top of it. You you are going to have to, I mean, I think discipline is, I mean, it's kind of a vague term, but I do think that's part of it is, you know, you have to, um, it's not just like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, call and try to make a flash and call and try to make a set. Like, it's, it's not just about, you know, like it, it requires, um, this requires work one way or the other. And it does come back to that idea of, of reciprocality is, you know, if, if it were easy, everyone would be doing it. Like you have to be doing things that your opponents are not doing both at the table and away from the table. And if those things were easy to do either easy psychologically, like some of it is just people don't want the variance that comes with, you know, making big calls or three betting with uh, you know a hand that's not ace king or pocket queens. Um, so right. for for some people, it's just you know that that makes it unpleasant. So they don't want to do the the thing that involves variance or you know, involves a risk of a loss. Um, and then it's in some cases it's like it's work. You know, like it's not always going to be obvious right. to find what are the hands you should be check raising with on the turn. Or like, of course, the obvious play is just to call when you have uh, a pair on the river. But like, maybe you should be raising for value, or maybe you should be raising to turn it into a bluff. And so like you have to like think pretty hard and do a lot of mental work in order to to find those things. So one way or another, like there's going to be work involved uh, in, in in doing things that your opponents are not doing. And then there's also going to be cutting out some of the things that, as you say, you know, there, where people are trading profit for fun, you know, so like the person who's playing recreationally, like they can call against the odds to try to make a flush just because like, it's fun for them to make flushes. And maybe it's fun for them to suck out on people. Like they probably enjoy that element of it also, which is fine, but like, it's not how you play winning poker. And so you have to not do those things. But I think that all kind of comes under the, the headings of like discipline and hard work. Right. You know, that, that, that yeah, the, that makes that makes great sense exactly the, the, the hard work and uh, incidentally what you just said you know like calling and and you know basically like hitting a flush or like a, a difficult hand you, you reminded me of a of a story that uh, uh Tamath said on on card player i believe a few a few years back where he said he was playing these private games with Phil Helmuth and he was always trying to do that <laughs> basically trying to to tilt, uh, tilt EV against Phil i thought that was that was the funniest thing the, the funniest thing ever but yeah no i mean yeah it, it's it, it makes it makes sense and and you know discipline again it, it's one of those of, the, of those words that I, I do think it's important to have in the, in the back of our heads, you know, like discipline, hard work. Uh, incidentally, hard work, uh, I, I can't tell you, Andrew, how many times I had, uh, you know, like uh, uh, students who thought it would be, you know, let's go to Vegas. Let, let's let's make some, make some money. It's like, uh, yeah, we, we, we can go to Vegas. But before <laughs> we start making any money, there is some serious training that, that, that needs to be done. And, uh, it, it, and it's a lot of work. It's, it's a lot of fun, too, like to, 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 to work and uh, um, um, uh, 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 can I ask you a random question that I had? I mean, I was I was listening to to, to one of your podcasts the other day, and I and I, and I wanted to, to to ask you a, a question, a random question, it has to do with uh, with variance, of course. And um, you mentioned that, um, which is something, by the way, that I that I agree from uh, you know from an EV standpoint. Um, um, it, it, it was your your, your conversation with. Um, uh, your, um, your your stand-up uh, comedian friend. Uh, oh, Clayton. Um, 
Clay Clayton, yes, Clayton, yeah, Fletcher. Sorry about that. Um, and then you 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 were having uh, you were having the the conversation about the idea that uh, in general. Um, you know, uh, cash games of the same stakes are, are usually plus EV, and uh, um, which which is actually actually very true. And and I, and I wanted to run by you. Like I, I, I had this I had this thought process, you know, because I was I was it happened at the time while I was writing this article on variance, and I and I had this uh, this this idea, um, which also combines some, some thought from uh, from people like uh, you know uh, uh, Taleb. He when he he's talking about the idea of setting set he has that idea that that says okay so variance or or black swans or you know like unexpected events uh, which we should put a, a big caveat here for those who are listening poker is not the same as you know variance in poker is not the same as variance in life right i mean there's we know what we don't know in poker but with that caveat aside there is this interesting idea that basically says that sometimes it's it's okay to um basically expose ourselves to the positive side of variance now EV-wise, that might be technically less, but the spike that the positive variance could have, sometimes mathematicians call that the right tail, you know, when things happening far to the right, like, you know, they were very lucky versus far to the left, which is very unlucky, could have like a, a benefit, uh, which to some players, probably not professionals, but to beginning and medium players can can have like a huge, huge uh, impact. For example, let me give you an example because that sounds completely vague. Let's say that we have a... A beginner to intermediate player who takes, let's say, shots at um, a, a tournaments that they're really, uh, you know, highly concentrated on, 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 on the, the top heavy, basically. And if that player, like, let's say, spikes a, a one of these, a bings one of these tournaments or places top, it doesn't have to be top, top one, it can be top five, let's say, or final tables it. Um, then they can have a bankroll that could, could allow them to take shots. Let's let's say the profitable player. They can take shots at stakes, which otherwise they wouldn't be technically allowed uh, due to, to their bankroll. So basically, that's a very long, uh, very long introduction. Uh, or to a question: What do you think about these asymmetries that spike a, a spike that is not as um, a monetary spike? That is a, moni- a monetary spike that is not as um, it might be EV wise, maybe. Lower than let's say cash games, but because it has that influx in the monetary influx into someone's bankroll, can have potential. That if we, do you think there is any value to add? Do we have to make any adjustment to the EV loss? And 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 I, I hope I didn't I didn't ask the question in too complicated. Mind. No, I, I think I understand exactly what you're talking about. And, and what it actually makes me think of is I remember, and I don't hear. I think we just have a much more efficient market now among professional poker players to finance, you know, with like staking and those kinds of things where if people are mm-hmm. good enough to be playing higher stakes, like they usually have ways of getting access to those games, even if they don't personally have the bankroll for it, like they can find someone, they can demonstrate their value in lower games and like get a stake to play in mm-hmm. higher games or something like that. But when you go back like 15 years and you hear people, I'm th- like I feel like I probably heard Taylor KB say this and maybe some other people who at one time played the highest stakes that were then being being spread. And a lot of those people would talk about, you know, at some point you just have to take a shot and, you know, they're, they're playing well above their bankroll where they have you know 50 percent of their bankrolls on the table and they're playing mm-hmm. a game and then they won in that game and then suddenly they had a bankroll to play like much bigger games and i mean there's also a huge survivor bias there where like you're healing you're sure, hearing from the sure. people who did win and you know who knows how many people did that and you know right. then they were down playing uh, 50 cent a dollar or whatever um right. yeah i mean i i think i i think like 
literally there's something to that. I think ideally, um, and, and for many people, there probably are other ways around that situation. Sure. Um, like I said, you know, staking or, or things like, cause even, even, um, non-professional players can potentially get access to, to staking or, you know, can sell pieces of themselves right. in, in tournaments or, or that kind of thing. And, um, I, so I, well, I think what you say is technically true. I also think that a lot of people are always looking for justifications for why they should play like higher stakes than they are or, oh, yeah. um, and are just like approaching tournaments in the wrong way. I mean, I've, I've even coached, you know, professional or have at least um, coaching conversations with professional cash game players who are like, well, you know, I, I want to play tournaments because, you know, because I could get a big score in a tournament. And as you say, I mean, in theory, like there could be some upside to that, but I think in general, that's just a very dangerous way to approach thinking about tournaments that you're doing it just because like that's, that's a gambler's mentality, I think. Co- correct. And I, and I would agree. And, and, and just, just to clarify something, because again, this is again for, for your listeners also, I think that's, that's actually a very, a very, a very, a very good point, right? So uh, integrated in the question is the assumption that, uh, that money, you know, that 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 uh, lump of money uh, has the, the player who gets that money potentially has a very good use for it, and uh, not just oh, you know, I just want to I want to win X amount of dollars for the sake of it, right? And 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 that is easier said than done because what happens a lot with you know poker players, you know, you get a big lump of money and you know maybe the spending goes up, and, and this is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is just again, like you said, like treating it essentially as a business where you have like this investment that you know exactly how and where you're going to use it and that's integrated into the question and of course it's a another big question what would be the best way to use that amount of money and 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 and, and if i'm hearing what you're saying correctly uh it's probably integrated in your statement and correct me if i'm wrong because i want to make sure that i understand this correctly you're saying that these people haven't thought what they would gonna do with that money correct they just want to just get the money like just i want to i want to spike a big turn i mean is that accurate um i, I imagine they've they've thought about what they would do if they won five hundred thousand dollars or whatever but i think that um it's they probably haven't. I mean, business-wise. Yeah, but business-wise, they. Have. I would say they probably haven't thought about like whether there are other like. I think a lot of people are approaching that more as a get-rich-quick scheme than a um, like. There might be better ways of them acquiring that money. If if it's just like I can I can win this tournament, then I can move up to playing five ten games. Like if you're actually that good at two five, you could probably just find someone to stake you in five ten games Got it. or something like that. You know. Right, exactly. So, but 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 you basically saying that it, it, it's some sort of like uh, end goal, like that money is the end goal. It's not a means to an end, generally, or sometimes. I think is. it is. I just think there's other ways. I, I I don't think that many people are in that situation of um, if I just had this like cash, but at least for the purposes of reinvesting in poker. I mean, right, there might right. be other things you know you need to. to save your family business with, you know, by winning a hundred thousand dollars. And so like, it sounds like the plot of a movie, you know, <laughs> like how are we going to get a hundred thousand dollars in one weekend? Well, there's a poker tournament going on at the, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just, I'm, I'm very wary of, uh, cause I, I know that everyone or most people have this mentality of like wanting to play bigger, wanting to have big scores. Um, 
sort of believing that they have a higher chance than they actually do of, of getting or overestimating their chances. I'm remembering actually one, one of the times, it might have been the first time that they had the million dollar, uh, the one drop tournament, the WSOP, there was a recreational player who was selling pieces of themselves in that tournament. A lot of people were sort of making fun of him for this because he was selling at like an absurd markup given that he was obviously like <laughs> one of the weakest players in the field. Um, yeah. I think he was selling at like 1.4 markup or, or something crazy. Wow. And in his, um, in his like blog post or whatever that he wrote about this, um, one of his things was like, "Well, there's only going to be 72 players in this tournament, so I only have to fade 71 players, and like I, I can do that, you know." <laughs> That's funny. That's really funny. So yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm very wary of people's um, like self deceptions. I, I just you see so much of that in poker. For sure, for sure. Yeah, no, and it's it, it's important to you know. First of all, to be self-aware, I think that's again goes back to the meditative practice. I mean, being self-aware of these deceptions, and first of all, uh, our own. I would start with my, myself. You know, like you know, it's it's very easy uh, to you know de deceive myself. For example, it's we're just human, and and trying to understand what these deceptions are can be can be very beneficial. If you do, you think there are opportunities uh, for for poker players, um, let, let's say winning poker players, whether I mean. This is kind of an important assumption. Winning poker players, whether they are, again, intermediate or more advanced or even professionals, do you think that there are potential ways to take advantage of the positive side of variance? Because usually people, like the number one rule is how to protect against the negative side of variance, which is, is I think it's, it's very important, right? And, and, and a lot of people are not doing it. But there's also the positive side of variance. Like, like what would you think would be like a good way for a, a winning poker player to take advantage of a really good good run, um, I think. In other ways, I mean, maybe maybe they're not. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind for me is actually more psychological than you know that they're going to do a, a particular thing with money, which is just you know I think you're more likely. I mean, this is the idea of like a hot streak, right? That um, mm -hmm. when you have confidence that comes from winning and i mean even after doing this for 15 plus years like i know that i still have an irrational level of confidence when things are going well <laughs> or irrational lack of confidence when they haven't been going well um but then you know that it leads to you i mean a like in live poker maybe there is a sort of aura that you have that you know causes people to play less well against you i think there can be something to that but i also think that um just in terms of your own you know, like I just think you're more willing to make correct but ambitious, you know, bluffs and calls and value bets and everything. Just you know, to to do things that are riskier and and that are correct risks that have positive expected value attached to them. If things have been going well for you recently, you're more likely to see the potential for that thing to work out well rather than to feel like, oh, you know, what's the point of getting it in here? I'm just going to lose the flip anyway, kind of thing. Right. Right. So essentially, like, get in, into more spots, get get more, give yourself more opportunities when, when, when this, this is happening. Yeah. And I guess like having the bankroll, I mean, I guess I would say like, you shouldn't really be playing games where your bankroll, like if, if not being bankrolled for the game is going to constrain you from taking plus EV opportunities. You know, that's probably a reason you shouldn't be playing that game in the first place. I don't think that has to be literally be true. I mean, it could be that the game is so good that you can essentially accept like, I'm going to be slicing 10% off of my EV by 
deliberately playing a conservative strategy and like i can still make a lot of money in this game because people are just lighting money on fire you know like that is a theoretically possible thing um but i i think in general you know it shouldn't be oh i I didn't make this move because uh i had a thousand dollars on the table and my bankroll was five thousand dollars and i didn't want to lose it you know like i think that's more something you should have anticipated before you sat down in the game with a thousand dollars on the table rather than something you should like be realizing when you're contemplating the river call Sure. No, that 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 makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I I, I agree with that actually, hundred percent. Have you read um, I, the Poker Face of Wall Street? Go ahead. Actually, I have not. Uh, we we interviewed the author on here a while ago, Aaron Brown. Um, it was, a, it was mm-hmm. an interesting interview. I have no idea like the the factual basis of this, but he's a um, you know Wall Street finance sort of person who also has taken poker pretty seriously. But you know, he wrote this book about. It kind of like big picture how um, poker throughout time has, uh, and kind of like in particular, like the history of, of America, um, how it has like interacted with finance. And one of his arguments was um, that even in the sort of like the early, like the Wild West, well, like Maverick, like we were talking about, like, like you know, in, in those days, <laughs> one of the functions of those poker games was to um, concentrate. My, it didn't. It didn't necessarily matter who won, but like to concentrate money in the hands of someone, and that that money could then be invested because there were so many opportunities for investment in, in because like that whole part of the country was just being developed. So to invest in a, you know a, a business or a railroad or a mine or whatever it was, you know there were there was so much need for capital that um, that one function of those poker games was to concentrate capital in sufficient. Um, volume so that then they could uh i'm not really in a position like independently to evaluate the accuracy of that argument it's not something i've seen argued anywhere else but i do remember him making that argument and i thought of that when you were talking about this that's very interesting actually yeah like the the idea of like some sort of like winner takes all and then that winner now has you know instead of like five or six people controlling like a you know a fifth or a sixth of the entire pod you have one person that controls all the money that's actually pretty interesting yeah exactly interesting to interesting to to you know to look into it you know at the at the at the at the very least and uh, you see these are these these connections i mean they 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 fascinate me you know whether or not again again the the you said even if the accuracy is not true i mean there there's certain connections like that that they're certainly true and you know i mean that that creates a very a very interesting dynamic and 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 i feel that you know poker has such such a potential you know like do for a lot of things there, there's so many things that uh, i see in everyday life i mean I, I often joke and again this is this is not mine it's it's collective wisdom but i often joke that you know um poker is in a certain way it's like life you know you you do the uh, the wrong time the wrong thing in life and you get rewarded sometimes or you do the right thing and you get you get penalized you know like let's say you get boxed up by a friend or you 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 park on a on a parking space and uh, which is forbidden and you don't get a ticket or something like that but you do the right thing you know kind of like in in the long run and you're going to be okay or you do the wrong thing in the long run and you're probably not going to be okay right so that i think i don't know like i I find fascination in 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 connections like that and and um and and again what you what you just described i mean triggered that thought in in my head that again you know collecting you know, money goes to one place, and then that money can be used. It can be used for something else. It's not necessarily, it's not necessarily a connection there, but it is um, some interesting relations to um, uh, to life. And I, and I, 
and I think that's I don't know that's that's that, that that's fascinating. There are some very um, specific. I mean, even in the context of like a poker tournament, where um, just for for kind of like not necessarily ICM but like future play reasons. And this again, like I'm wary of making this argument because I think way too many people use this as an excuse to, to take like bad gambles. But sure. you know, like, so for example, to be the chip leader at the final table of a tournament or some other point where ICM is, is really at a premium and where you're able then to use the fact that you have a lot of chips to pressure other players and then like there's right. you know, there's like compounding benefits to being in a kind of a commanding chip lead at a spot where where there are a lot of ICM implications on, on players who understand right. those implications, which then in turn you know maybe gives you some incentive to I don't know if it's necessarily to gamble in an otherwise negative EV way, but to um, at least you know take a, a chip EV gamble that if you just looked at it one hand in an ICM calculator, it would tell you not to do this because the risk is. Like, but but once you you factor in the implication of having a bigger stack and the opportunities that that's going to give you later, I think a lot of you know good tournament players will argue that um, it is in fact correct to do those things, even though it's not going to appear correct when you look in an ICM calculator. Like it's you know, it's going to say not to call with these. Or you'll see, um, you know, bounty tournaments are another example of this, where you know it can be correct if, if you know, winning this pot would then lead to you covering many players at the table, where you could collect their their bounties, or you'd be able to collect more bounties as a result of winning this pot. It could be correct to, um, you know, to get the money in, even though from a chip EV perspective, it might not be plus EV. That's that's fascinating. That's fascinating, and actually, that's uh, that, that, that's that's a very 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 interesting very interesting topic. Um, that, I've never thought about that. That and, and and it's funny that you mentioned it because like I I did I did really um, at some point in the past I, I wrote about um, making deals uh, and again the uh, at, at the later stages of the of the tournament and I approached them from a mathematical standpoint. But again, having having the bottom lines, and you know like the big stack was was a big component and and like you said the, the, there's there's a there's a big premium there. So and usually when people for example do the I don't. I don't think any anybody does that anymore, unless they play lower stakes. Uh, the the so-called cheap chop deal, right? Where basically uh, they, they give the 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 person a percentage uh, of the uh, of the money, and usually based on how how big their stock is, and um, and usually this is a great deal for the um, for the. Um, uh, for the cheap leader, right? So, because usually ICM will tell you that you deserve less money than just the cheap job. Like, for example, if you're like, let's say we have three players, 50%, 30%, and 20% of the stocks, and you to get like 50% of the of the prize money, that's that's completely unfair for the for the other two uh, for the other two contestants. And um, and I just realized what you just described. Uh, it, it it basically explains this non mathematically. That you can take advantage of of of, of your of, of your of your stack. That would be the equivalent of basically taking the deal, which is the cheap job deal, right? It's not the ICM deal, but it's it's the deal that benefits the larger stock. And um, um, I, I don't know if that, if that makes sense. Right? What, what what I just said. Yeah, right? I, mean, I think you know, the, the, the flip the, side of that is that if you do just look at what an ICM, because like there are those apps now that'll just kind of tell you what would the ICM values of exactly. the stack B. And my understanding is that those, um, and I've not done this work myself, this is just based on, you know, things that I've, I've heard other people argue, but I think it's pretty convincing that, um, that, that if you do the deal that way, it tends to be disadvantageous for, 
for the big stack. And that doesn't mean that the chip chop is then the right way to do it, but like whatever the true number is, even if we ignore skill, which right. is its own variable, but even setting skill aside, the, the true number is, is going to be somewhere between the, the chip chop and the, um, and, and the ICM chop because ICM is going to undervalue the big right. stack's potential to accumulate more chips going forward. Exactly, exactly. Which is which is which is also why I mean, if anybody for whatever reason they offer you the the, the chip shop and you are the chip leader, probably it's it's kind of safe to say that it's it, it's a good deal, correct? I think so. Yeah, and I yeah, think I think yeah. you're right. It's like at this point, only a like very novice uh, player, I think, would would say. And I think even like current <laughs> staff, if they're involved in the in the deal making, I think a lot of them would. Um, likely you know, recommend against that or, or sort of, I don't know if they would literally say like, that's a bad deal. But I think once you involve the, the casino staff in the deal making process, I think it's fairly common now that they'll just right. give you the ICM number. Like they won't say, did you want to, to do a to chip job or an ICM? They'll just say like, here are the ICM right. numbers. Right. No, that's not makes sense. Would you like, um, uh, I, are you um, because I know you play a lot of tournaments. What do you think about um, the the ne- ne- negotiations? Like, are you big on negotiations towards the end? Like, uh, would you um, would you like make counter suggestions? Um, would you offer some, some 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 deal that is you know obviously beneficial to your stock and 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 you know like fair for for the rest of the, uh, what do you think about negotiations in general um, it's not really something i've done a lot of uh, i mean online it's ten, i mean i guess at least on poker stars they did used to facilitate this a little bit i don't know that i was ever too involved in like i, I don't i mean it's been a while since i was you're at that level in a poker stars tournament sure. so I, I don't really remember there but for for live poker I'm used to being um, like feeling like I have enough of a skill edge that the kind of deal I would want is not a deal that other people would take. I think it's people's egos just get in the way where like even people who know that I'm a better player than they are, are still just like, once they see a number written in front of them and maybe I should be like stepping in before the numbers even get presented. But like once the, they see a number and then I'm like, well, I want 20% more than what my numbers say. And that means you're getting 20% less. People are just like, fuck you. I'm not taking that. You know, <laughs> I see. That makes that makes sense. Yeah. No. That's. Uh, but 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 you you you're still making a suggestion though, right? I mean, you still like throw a number, and then if they if usually they. I mean, just honestly, like I don't even find I, I can I can usually predict that it's not going to go down well. Where once people are sort of like, I mean, at first you know usually when you're playing a live tournament, the first discussion of a deal comes up when there's like twelve players left. <laughs> And then, you know, maybe once it gets down to like five or four handed, I mean, I might agree to like look at numbers or something, but even that I know it's usually a dead end because I just think, um, I mean, I'm just used to having so much more experience playing four-handed, having a much better understanding of, you know, ICM and like final table dynamics and stuff like that than than other people. Um, and, and part of this is like, it's not like I've made the final table of some um, a tournament where it was like all professionals remaining. Like I, I'm used to there being recreational players at the final tables of whatever tournament I get to, where people that I feel like I have a big skill advantage over, where. Um, 
I just, and I, I mean, I enjoy playing it out also. Like I said, it's fun. So even if the deal were like exactly fair, my preference would usually still be to play it out unless it were like really late or, you know, there's a big cash game starting that I want to play or, you know, there would have to be some, some reason why I'm even willing to take a fair deal because all things equal, I'd rather just get my EV from, from playing. Right. No, that, 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 that makes perfect sense. Have you ever had a situation where, I mean, I'm sure you've heard all, 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 all sorts of stories, but uh, uh, have you ever heard, uh, have you ever had a recreational player to, like, while you're the cheap leader or, you know, like near the top to offer you, like, equal chop? Have you, have you ever had that? Um, you know, <laughs> The what? one that I remember, and this is, like, so, so long ago, but I was playing a uh, single table satellite at the WSOP, mm-hmm. and we were down to three-handed, and... Um, you know, the, the other two guys, like, it was the same sort of thing where like they, they were convinced that I was being greedy because I would, they wanted, I was a chip leader with three players remaining. They wanted to do an even chop and I wouldn't do it. And then they were, they were convinced that I was being greedy. And then um, I lost the pot, so now I was in third place. And then I was like, okay, now we can do that chop. And they're like, no, no, yeah, now he wants to do it. And I was like, yes, now they want to do it. Like, I'll take the deal when it's good for me and not when it's bad for me. I don't know. Like, <laughs> uh, I don't see why that's surprising, but. <laughs> Um, so then, of course, they wouldn't do it. And then, as soon as I got eliminated, the player who eliminated me had like—I mean, honestly—he had probably like a five or six to one chip lead of the other guy, and they just instantly split it like fifty-fifty. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> and they were—I guess that makes it sound like they were colluding or something. I don't—I—I I, I don't think that was the case. Uh, I didn't get the impression that they like knew each other. I think they just—you know—that that was what was fair in their mind because there was a lot of variance in you know it's, it's short you know it's only eight big blinds or whatever remaining so you know from the, the like naive approach to that is just like well when you're this shallow anyone could win so let's just chop it up oh, no. you, you you're right no I, it's it's good that that you didn't take it and it's a and it's a good lesson also like you know for for people who are listening you know the ev is ev and it, and it matters and uh in the long term it's going to make a difference and the longer you play you know, the less these individual uh, spots matter for you to, you know, sacrifice. You know, that if he doesn't, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make, it wouldn't make any sense. I do think that's but a big I, part. I, I don't of, know. That's, a, that's a big part of the kind of a certain kind of like recreational mindset is just like I don't want to play for twelve hours and then have nothing to show for it. So you know, let's just or you know, the whole idea of like paying the bubble or just you know some of those concepts yeah. that you know the more like analytically minded professionals just kind of like make fun of that as people who don't understand math or something. I, I mean, I, there's probably something of that to it, but I think it's also just there are people, many people, the people that we want to be playing poker with are not playing, you know, they're not ruthless EV machines the way, <laughs> the way we are. And so they just have, you know, different things that they're looking to get out of the game. And so, you know, ideally you find ways, like I've had this conversation with people of, you know, is, is poker really a, a, a zero sum or a negative sum game and obviously like the money is you know one one person wins it and one person loses it but ideally and i think this is usually the case or we wouldn't have games going you know like people aren't that irrational uh that there is something that the losing players are getting out of it you know like Absolutely. People, like most people know that they're not favorites in the game. I mean, some people are just delusional, but I think most people are aware, especially people who've been losing for 10 years. Like they know that they're losing poker players. Um, so then it's like, well, they're getting something out of the experience. And, you know, you need to think about as a, as a professional who wants to see these games continue, like you need to think about how do I make this a win-win um, experience when I literally need them to lose. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I agree. And, and, you know, like I would even take it one step further and even say, you know, that would explain, for example, why negative EV situations in general can turn into positive EV and, and, and the lottery comes to mind. You know, like why so many people, for example, buy the lottery? Because again, perhaps one way we can we, we can look at it is that it is monetarily minus EV, but then if we factor psychological factors, you know, like the, the price of a dream or, you know, uh, enjoyment or the anticipation of the uh, the lack of the drug, you know, it's, uh, you know, they're going to draw the numbers in, you know, five minutes, all of that stuff, if we factor it in, maybe a, 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 a minus, a monetarily minus EV can turn into an overall positive experience. And... Uh, and, 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 and you're right. I mean, it could be, you know, uh, monetarily uh, a negative sum game. But uh, when we factor in all these other factors, it could be a massively positive event. Incidentally, since, since, you, since you mentioned that, I do feel it is, it is very, very important. And, I, and I hopefully I make that clear. I, I try to make it super clear in the book that, you know, like I, I, I'm not picking up on people like Bobby. I mean, the book is called Why Alex Beats Bobby. So I don't, I don't think of Bobby as as silly or as inferior to to alex or anything like that as a matter of fact you know it's it is very important to 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 remember and uh, and uh, i'm speaking to myself for, for for first and foremost that a lot of these people especially in the higher stakes are very successful people i mean i mentioned chamath earlier right i mean palipatia like a incredibly successful investor like these are not just you know quote-unquote dummies that that show up at the poker table they're very respectable people in society and they you know they just want to have fun some of them are also great great poker players um even the, some of these amateurs so I do, I do think that it's 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 very very important that you know uh, for 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 successful poker players uh, to, to to understand that you know um, they're they're trying to have fun too and it's and I mean you talk about all the stuff all the time I mean it's not I'm I'm just I'm I'm just saying that you know it's 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 very very important I mean to to maintain that that respect for. Um, for for you know human beings essentially uh regardless of of of, of, the, of the level of their skill which you know i mean it, it goes without saying but yeah you know and i i, I called professional poker players ruthless ev machines a second ago but right. i mean the, the truth exactly. is like i think for most people there are probably some exceptions for people with like criminal records or something but i think for most people um i just mean in terms of like if you were going to put the amount of time and effort that you put into poker into like it's not literally the most plus ev thing you could be doing with your time you know like if, if all you were really trying to do is maximize the like dollar value of your time um no matter how good for 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 you know the vast majority of professional poker players poker is not like the single most profitable thing they could have invested their time and effort into so and I think it, it's good for your own you know, enjoyment, what, what uh, Carlos Welch would call happiness EV, you know, to think about what, what is it that you're getting out of this game besides money? You know, I don't think a lot of people who make it as professionals um, are you're driven exclusively by money. I think if, if you were really that driven by money, poker would not. Um, yeah, it's just you know, it, it, it has to be satisfying something else for you besides just money. I mean, obviously, for a lot of people, it's like the lifestyle element of not having a boss or being able to kind of do as much or as little and seeing a very direct correlation between the effort that you put in and the reward that you get out in a way that, you know, you talked about in, in, in many ways, other parts of life have much higher variance <laughs> than poker does in terms of like whether or not you see a reward for your work or, you know, your rewards depend on your ability to be like 
charismatic with bosses and coworkers, and um, some some poker players uh, struggle in the charisma department. But sure, yeah, and 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 and, and speaking speaking of which, like if if you were to put it, just I'm I'm just curious, like you know, like a a percentage, uh, how much would you say that you know the enjoyment you get out of, of poker is you know like about thinking poker, no pun intended. I mean, for me specifically, quite high. Uh, it's that's really. I mean, for me, that's like a, a, a very big part of it is is enjoying. Um, like, and I think this also gets back to you know the the, the conversation we were having before about um, the professional mindset, or you know, you're not you, you can't get mm-hmm. the same fun out of the game that you were getting as a recreational player. And I do think you know that's that's true. You can't get the fun of gambling. You know that's gambling is you're not going to win if, if that's what you enjoy about poker or that's what you're trying to get out of it. You're not going to be a, a winning player. Right. But um, you know, I do think there's enjoyment to be gotten from it. And I'm a person who you know when I was a kid, I would just buy like books of logic puzzles and do them just for fun, <laughs> <laughs> which you know a lot of people found and, and you know find now weird. But um, so it's like if you enjoy like puzzles, you know it's it is essentially like a puzzle generator. You know, poker is a game that's like constantly generating new puzzles for you. And it's not the single most satisfying. I mean, the puzzles aren't necessarily designed to be enjoyable for you. So it's like, these aren't puzzles that I would necessarily solve. I mean, some of them are. Like, I, was, I was doing running some Pyosolver simulations today that was like, mm-hmm. it's partly for enjoyment or, or interest. But, you know, it's like, I, it's not like I would be doing this if I weren't getting paid at all. But, Sure. You know, there is the the um, enjoying, deriving your enjoyment from playing well, I guess, rather than deriving your enjoyment from hitting sets. Is <laughs> I, th- I think like the key. Sure. That 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 that, that makes that makes perfect sense, and uh, and uh, and I mean I mean all, all of it, you know, like the fact that you know, I mean, we we've got to pay the bills somehow. So it's it's great that we can we can we can do this for a living. I mean, they say the same thing, for example, for for for, for academics. Like a, a a fellow colleague of mine, you know, used to say, you know, they they pay us to do our hobby. That's if if you do <laughs> that, that that that's how sometimes I, I I view math research right I mean and 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 it's definitely poker you know it's a it's a it's it it it, it it's a lot of fun and, and thinking about it like you know as as for the puzzles you you definitely preaching to the choir I'm 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 a, I'm a big aficionado myself I actually used to have a blog when I was uh, uh, an undergrad and it's it's unfortunately in Greek so. Uh, I, 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 I wouldn't speak much much English at the time. So, but the, I, I really, I really love puzzles. Do you happen to have like any any any, any favorites? I even threw one in in, in the book as a, as as an Easter egg to, to 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 make a point. Do you happen to have like any all time favorites, like logical puzzles that you thought they were elegant and interesting? I mean, the, the uh, ones I that I have in mind are of a very specific form. I imagine you've seen these. I think they even used to put them on like on the in the L set. Um, uh, you know, where there's like this grid of, uh, you know, um, you have to figure out the schedules of five different people. And, you know, so you have like the Got people's it. first name and the last name and, right. uh, you know, what time they're going to do each activity. And, and, you know, there's five different activities and each one's going to do a different one at a different time. And then there's a, a number of clues that sort of like, but through, through a like lo- very logical process of you kind of go through and you put X's in certain boxes as you determine like, okay, well, Tom can't be gardening at three thirty because, you know, rule number three said Tom isn't gardening at three thirty, And you sort of work back and forth through these, 
through these clues and like as you logically eliminate them eventually you don't arrive at like the the correct solution but yeah, they're not like brain teasers of the you know of the sort of thing that i could you know give you now yeah no, no the, i i love those too i mean there is uh like you know the uh I, 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 I guess they, they, they would be like for, for, for those, uh, they're like essentially in a certain sense, uh, crossword puzzles, a different version, I, I, I should, logical crossword yes. puzzles, right? I mean, I would, I would consider like closer to something like Sudoku, for example. Yeah, or, it's basically uh, the same uh, thing as, it, as a Sudoku. I mean, a Sudoku, you're, you're kind of doing the same yeah, way yeah. where you're starting with a list of possibilities and then you're like eliminating them one by one until you arrive at like the only one that, that is you know, possibly remaining. I, I I love those. I, w were you ever interested in, uh, you know, like logical puzzles, like the ones where, you know, like the either the perfect logicians, the the the, the truth, uh, they, you know, the people who were lying or telling the truth or like stuff like that. You, you know what I'm talking about? The ones where, or like with ones with like. Uh, uh, yeah, the, you know, uh, the one person always lies and one person always tells the truth. And how do you like that kind of thing? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I was definitely interested in them. I'm not uh, because like when we had David Sklansky on the show, you know, he's he's a I guess his right. father gave him a lot of those, so he has a, he has a ton. I mean, I'm, I'm not able to like rattle them off off the top of my head the way he could, but yeah, I, I always found them interesting. The, 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 there's one in particular which uh, I thought actually surprisingly had had relation to poker, and uh, I didn't I didn't realize it un until many years later. There is a there is a riddle uh, where you know there is um, uh, th there's a lot of versions of, of that riddle, but basically goes something like this: uh, There's uh, three friends and they're captured, and uh, you know the sadistic king you know shows them three red hats and two green ones. So there's like five hats total then you know again three people five five hats three red and, and two green ones and uh he is then hiding hiding all the hats uh he closes uh, he you know he, like, he, he makes them blindfolded so they cannot see and he puts three hats on their heads and the spectators see that he puts like red hats on everyone so red hats on the first guy red hat on the second guy red hat on the third guy and then he hides the the two remaining green ones and um then he asked the first person then then they they're no longer blindfolded so basically everybody sees that the other person has two hats two red hats but they cannot see um their own hat so everybody sees that the other two people each have one red hat uh, but they cannot see their own and uh, then the the king asks the first person, "Do you know what what color your hat is?" And the person says, "No, I have no idea." Uh, okay, ask goes the second person, "Do you know what what color your your hat is?" And he says, "No, I have no idea." And then he asks the third person, "Do you know it's red? It's red." It, before he even asked the question, the third person knew that his hat was red, and 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 of course, uh, I mean, I don't know if uh, you know like, if I should. If I should if I should spoil the answer or not, I mean for for the listeners if they wanna wanna think about it. But re regardless of the answer, the the, the 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 part that I find it very interesting here is is is, is, is twofold. First of all. The third person was playing in position <laughs> because he, right? He he got he, he got information, and the second thing which I found incredibly interesting that applies to poker is that he got information by what their opponents, let's say, they didn't do. So he got information by what they didn't do, and sometimes you know, like that's how we get information by checking when somebody's checking, like they didn't bet, which means the hand may not be as strong. So. 
I find it find it fascinating that sometimes being silent or not giving an answer can actually scream information loudly. And 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 of course, for those who who who, who want to figure out the, the the riddle, the riddle is not. I, I mean, depending on what angle is 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 being approached, um, the the idea, of course, is that every time a person says that they don't know, they kind of silently ruling out possibilities. Like for example, when the first person says, "I don't know." It's clear that they are not. Uh, um, it, it, it's it's clear that uh, the, um, uh, the the two other people are not wearing green hats, right? Because if the if the first person saw two green hats, immediately he will say he will say my hat is red. So immediately they know that the last two hats are not green. Now, of course, that's not enough information for the second second person because now the second person, uh, by seeing uh, two red hats, he's thinking, well, I can have a green and my other, the other person uh, can, can have the red. However, when that, that second person says, uh, I don't know what the hat is, then immediately, immediately the, the, the third person is thinking to themselves, uh, to, the, to himself, I cannot be in a red-green situation because that would be something that the second person would have figured out. If, 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 the, if the outcome of the, of the hats, and that's probably the hardest part, if the layout of the hats was red-red-green, the second person would have realized they do not have a green hat, otherwise the first person would have realized it. And that's kind of like the tricky part of the uh, of, of, of the riddle, and I and I probably said it uh, a, a, a little bit too fast, uh, and I and I apologize for that. But 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 the, the idea I don't really care about the riddle itself. I, like it's it's just so fascinating how we can give information by things that we don't do, and I thought that was somehow applicable somehow applicable to 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 to, to poker. Yeah, the, the um, and also and also, if you're the kind of person who says there's a surprise ending, but I won't spoil it for you, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies, Nate. Sorry about that. I I should have. Oh no, I deserve this. I totally deserve this. I should have. I should have asked. Sorry about that. No, no, it's just I, 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 I had a business call, and then I went for a run, and I came back, and it's like, what? You guys are still talking? That's awesome. That's great. <laughs> It's uh, it's 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 a lot of fun. Sorry, I mean, I took a lot of your time, guys. I mean, it's a it's 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 a fun. It's almost like a, a dream come true for me, like talking with you guys. It's uh, it's it it's 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 a pleasure. I um, but yeah, yeah. Well, I've I've enjoyed talking to you as well. I, I did want to ask you uh, towards the end. We often ask people for uh, for recommendations of things, not even necessarily poker related. I'm just thinking you're the first person I think who's mentioned uh, Cerberus in connection with poker. So I feel like you might have some different influences than um, many of our of our guests. You know, is there stuff that either that you would recommend to people or just that you would point to as uh, you know, having been very uh, influential for you or on you? Yeah, sure. I I, I, I briefly mentioned it earlier, and I think uh, it could be um, poker players may find it interesting, but it's also you know my. Uh, obsession with with variants. I, I would I would recommend uh, you know like the the works of Nassim Nicholas Taleb. He he's working on 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 risk and in particular tail risk. And tail risk is a fancy way of talking about like extreme events. Now extreme events don't really happen in poker because it's a controlled environment. But I think it's 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 good uh, to um, to give us a little bit of perspective. First of all, how how good we have it in poker, which we're very very you know in 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 a, in a kind of like closed environment. 
environment, things cannot go beyond a certain amount of wrong, uh, even though we all know that it can go very wrong. Um, and uh, it, it is, he, he, he's very- I once very had an earthquake strike while I was in the middle of a, a pretty big decision uh, during on, on day one of the WSOP main event. <laughs> <laughs> so does that okay? Does that uh, does that count, or is it fall outside? It's it, it's a close one. It's we'll we'll, we'll give you that one. I think it's <laughs> you, you know since you were sitting at the at the poker table, that, that's a good one. Um, in 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 terms of uh, you know uh, reading now, I don't know if if um, there are any you know uh, scientifically driven uh, people in, in in the audience who like to 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 read the works you know um, uh, of, of science you know a little bit um, better explained I guess and without all the jargon which f for me it's like you know like I one of my uh, pastime activities. I absolutely love it. Uh, and uh, I would definitely recommend like the works of Brian Greene on uh, and anyone who's interested in uh, um, in physics in general. I mean, he's talking both about uh, quantum mechanics and, and general relativity. And he he's doing a great job actually explaining very complicated concepts in, in, in very simple language. Um, again, for people who are interested in... Uh, in, in in science, I would I would also suggest uh, the um, the the road uh, to uh, to reality. I don't know if you guys uh, are familiar with, uh, with with Roger Penrose. He was a, a recent also uh, he, he got a a Nobel Prize in in physics, and he has this this amazing book that basically goes through all the science required <laughs> to, uh, but in, in, in a short version. It's basically a summary of, of our known um, uh, needed uh, science to, to, explain, to explain the, the universe. Uh, of course, you know, it's, I said a summary, so it's still a, a thousand pages book, so it's not exactly, it's not exactly an easy read, but um, it's very difficult, surprisingly difficult to find summaries of, of, uh, of, of, of science. So, um, that, that in, ter in terms of reading, uh, I don't know, like, if, if there's, like, any, any, any other, uh, you meant in terms of reading, right, recommendations in terms of reading, you didn't, because I, don't I know. could also give recommendations. Favorite TV show is in, fine, in too. TV shows are fine too. Okay, and or or video games. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge video game. Uh, uh, you know, uh, not necessarily good, but um, for you know, probably. I mean, some of your listeners they already know that, but there's uh, card games which are really uh, I find it exciting. Like, particular, I don't know, Magic: The Gathering Arena and uh, Hearthstone. I don't know if you know people are are aware of that, but. Uh, Recently, my my wife and I started uh, uh, cooperating in, uh, in in roguelikes. Are you guys familiar with the genre roguelikes? It's a it's a very very niche kind of a genre where you basically um, there is progress outside of the game, but uh, it, it's essentially a one-time game where you know your run ends in, in a limited amount of time. Uh, yeah, I played uh, the spire a little bit. Slay the Spire, exactly, exactly. That's in, exactly right. Yes, that, that's that. Would, that would be my next recommendation. Actually, Slay the Spire, right? It's, you have a, a run that lasts for you know anywhere between thirty and one hour, thirty minutes to an hour, but then you make progress outside of it. Yeah, and uh, so we were, we were cooperating in some shooting games, and uh, I'm terrible at it. Let me let me say that on public. I'm really my my wife is so much better than me. So. <laughs> It, it, it saves my butt every time. So every time I die, she resurrects me. So that's uh, so I, I had to say. So kudos to her. Awesome. Um, 
Well, thanks so much. I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you as evidenced by the fact that we've gone twice as long as, <laughs> as, I, as I told you oh, that we would, but I think people are going to enjoy this. I'm glad. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, you guys, I know it's crazy times. I hope you stay safe out there. Um, enjoy the rest of the day and uh, we'll be in touch. Oh, and um, yeah, remind so you, I mean, we'll, we'll mention it in the introduction, but uh, you know, tell people sure. now, you know, the, the name of your book and, and where you'd like them to oh. get it and that kind of thing. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no problem. So the, the name of, uh, of, of the book is why Alex beats uh, Bobby at poker. Uh, developing a fundamental sound approach to to poker, uh, and uh, you know there, there's several places people can find it. They can find it on on Amazon. Uh, they can find it directly from the publisher and distributor over at dnbpoker.com. Uh, and uh, again, if people have any 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 questions, I'm I'm usually very very open and uh, easy easy to find. Uh, they they can you know you feel free to anybody out there who has any questions to send me a message on Twitter at ask the math dr. And um, or if you can remember my my last name, uh, that's a blessing and a curse. There's nobody else with that last name. So Palamordas, P-A-L-A-M-O-U-R-D-A-S. If you Google that, uh, you can find several ways to to contact me. And then if, if anybody has any any questions, I'm more more than happy. I like to keep communications open because I know some of these topics are are very long, so it's difficult to. You know, there's only so many things one can say through through Twitter and stuff. I, I sometimes worry when people give me their Skype information and it's just their name because I will sometimes get like three or four hits. But in, in your case, I was pretty comfortable that uh, when, when I found Duck <laughs> and Palomortis on there, that, that that was you. Yeah, that that's me. There, 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 there's nobody else. Like I said, a blessing and a curse at the same time. I don't I don't know if it's the only only good thing, but yeah, it is what it is. Excellent. Well, pleasure talking to you, Duncan, and uh, hopefully it won't be the last time. Likewise. Take a good one. Bye-bye now.